This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 1986 Edition for Thursday, March 26th, 2020. Here we go again. (laughs) A date which will live in infamy. Yeah, this whole month's living in infamy. (laughs) Man, March of 2020. Like, I will never forget this. At least we're getting paid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We it's, we are officially getting paid. That's pretty cool. This worked out really well for Nico, professional <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> professional in heavy quotes. Yeah, it, heavy, it really, really works out nicely for my bank account. <laughs> what are you gonna do with it? I, I I see you going the route of Adam Sandler and being like, I got my two thousand bucks. You know what? Let's bet on this. Let's roll it over. <laughs> Celtics tip off, baby. <laughs> Celtics tip off. <laughs> What the hell are you gonna bet on? I got a six leg parlay. What the hell am I gonna bet on? Good question. Well, I've been looking for the exact draft position of Tua Tagovailoa in the uh, NFL draft. I'm looking at second overall at four to one, um, and that's all I got. That's all yeah, I got. It's a real, it's a real like 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 barren month for those who who gamble for a living. When you think about it. Yeah. Oh, no. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> that has not been lost on me. Like, the NBA is like your... It's it's your through line. It's your aqueduct. It's where you get everything that you possibly want. I feel like. Yeah, man. It's... You know what it is? I was talking about this on the other podcast yesterday. It's just that white noise in the background that I mm. need to fall asleep. It's, oh, yeah. It's just that hum of the air conditioning mm. in yeah, the back have- or, the, or the box fan. Yeah, I have my fan. That's exactly what it is. It's just a safety blanket. It gets you through life. You just check yeah. box scores all day and you watch highlights on Twitter or you flip yeah. on a game or you flip on Charles Barkley yelling at Shaq. And I just don't have that now. I have none of that. Well, I mean, you have movies. I do have movies, which is a good segue because I've been watching a lot of them. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to talk so, about them? Sure. Let's let's go for it. Uh, have you been watching any movies in your isolation or you've been pretty much uh, chilling? Um, I, I try to watch a couple movies. Like I said, I rewatched Hannah and her sisters out of frustration and it ended up being a pleasant experience. So there you go. It <laughs> was nice. It. Do that I, with crimes and misdemeanors now. <laughs> I have a, I have a firm understanding though of, of my, I, here's, here's what I realized. I, I usually rewatch a movie if I like, like out of curiosity, like if I hated the movie, like the first couple of viewings and then I give it some time and then I'm like, do I still hate that movie that much? Like I did with Interstellar. Mm. And then I watched it again and I'm like, yep, I still hate it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I don't have the same motivation to go back and watch Crimes and Dis- Misdemeanors. I mean, maybe I will. But um, yeah, Hannah and Her Sisters was like an experience like Manchester by the Sea that I explained to you where it was like, uh, I, I, I it was taking me forever to figure out where I was squared with the film and, you know, where my thoughts were and how it really affected me. So I'm like, I just need to sit back and take it all in again. And yeah, it was very helpful. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. I also watched nightmare on Elm street three written by Frank Darabont. (laughs) And, uh, and it was pretty good. (laughs) Man, your social distancing is way weirder than most people. (laughs) 
<laughs> Most people are just doing their laundry and organizing their sock drawers. And <laughs> you're watching you Nightmare on Elm Street three, specifically three. Yeah, that's oh, right. Man. No, it was solid. It with Patricia Arquette, one of her first performances ever. Is that right, dude? I I didn't realize how fucking stacked of a cast this. Like, you should check it out just for that cast. It's ridiculous. Who else Frickin is in it? Lawrence Fishburne is in it, credited as Larry Fishburne. Oh yeah, he used oh, to go my. by Larry. I wish yeah. he stuck with Larry. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> but it was great. I was like, oh, I mean, it's 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 not your cup of tea at all. But I think you would be heavily amused by that cast. Um, so. I'm not recognizing anyone else in here. It's just well, it's just funny to see those two, I guess, together. Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett yeah. is in Nightmare on Elm Street three. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. Yeah, that's right. Oh my god, that's right. <laughs> yeah okay. that was so strange yeah it was solid it's a it's a solid it's a solid it's actually i mean the nightmare on elm street films are pretty bad on the whole aside from one three and new nightmare so cool i saw a good one i also watched a good horror movie this week what was that one i think like most of america it's called the invisible man oh cool i'm doing the vod thing i'm mm-hmm. i'm stealing the <laughs> The yeah, video really. rentals. Let me be very yeah. clear. I'm not paying twenty dollars to watch these things at home, <laughs> <laughs> but some people are, and I guess uh, these movies are making money, and I'm happy for them. That's good. Uh, uh, Lee Winnell is the director. Uh, Lee Winnell, yeah. He also directed a movie that I don't love from a couple years ago called Upgrade, but I certainly appreciated a lot of it. I should um, see that one. Still haven't watched it. Yeah, it's a very you movie. Okay, very very you. Elizabeth Moss stars overqualified as all hell and <laughs> <laughs> eh, i mean I, I i'll i'll debate that like i said i don't love everything elizabeth moss does but um uh i like it's funny the only things i like her in are like the things that i i think you hadn't had seen like it's I, let me think yeah just get him get him to the greek get him <laughs> to the greek about. is your favorite elizabeth moss performance I guess. I okay. guess now it's Invisible Man in a way, only because she's doing a lot more and her performance is technically more impressive, but she's going for it in <laughs> Invisible Man. Yeah. Uh, she's a bit over the top. Yeah. She's kind of overacting I, I, in this. I, 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 we were talking about this and I was like, well, I don't really blame her. I mean, her character kind of calls for that in many scenes, especially for someone who is constantly being judged by everyone around her and no one believes a, a single thing that she says. Like it, it makes sense that would she would kind of lose her mind throughout the course of the film. It's just, I don't know. Cer- there are certain moments even then where I'm like dial it back, but I think it's a good performance. Yeah. I just think the script can't match her performance in a lot of cases. And so mm-hmm. she's trying to do a lot with not much material and that very rarely works. Yes. Um, I know. So she's just doing a lot of acting. It's not bad acting. It's just a lot of it. Yep. Um, the script is atrocious. It's really <laughs> bad. Yeah. There are a lot of plot holes and there are a lot of uh, pieces of logic that don't make much sense. I, I'll try not to spoil the movie. I, I just want to ask you um, and see if you can answer this without spoiling. Why did the guy leave her the five million dollars? Without spoiling? Yeah. How do I say this without spoiling? It was it was a ploy to um, get Elizabeth Moss um, in a relationship with a certain someone. <laughs> That's the best I can say without spoiling. <laughs> Is that necessary? I get. Like, here's the Is thing. Is that a necessary the, element of the plan? 
Yes, I. The problem is the choice of it being we're going to give you five million dollars to essentially put your guard down and trick you. That's where it gets a little weird. Like that's just a stupid idea. It's just. And I was I was telling you, it's like the script gets over elaborate for no reason. Right. And that's sort of the thing that was confusing me. It's not that it's like a plot hole necessarily. It's just like, oh, that's a strange workaround to make this other element make sense. Like the whole movie is sort of built around the, the, the notion of her fucking, how do I not spoil this? (laughs) Do your best. Um, uh, fuck. (laughs) I mean, maybe, okay, fine. Spoil it. Spoil away. Go ahead. Okay. Spoilers. Like a minute. If you don't want to be spoiled on the invisible. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the movie hangs a lot on her having the baby. So it, it's almost, yeah. it almost like works backwards in a way. So it's like, okay, how she, the, the entire premise of the movie is, um, we are going to, uh, have you run away from this guy who's abusive and we have to, you, you need it. You need to get back with him somehow. How are you going to do that? And they said, oh, she's secretly going to have a baby. Right. Right. And, and then they were like, okay, how do we make that make sense? And then they factored in the million or $5 million thing. And then that's how you get it to, to the point where it's kind of weird because they started later and then they went back on it and it's like, oh, but okay. But did she have the baby after? Was there some invisible rape going on? Yes. Okay. So who yes. impregnated her? I'm assuming it was uh, Adrian. It was Adrian. It wasn't the yep. brother. Yeah. No, I, I got that sense when like she was in bed or something. Like he had plenty of opportunities to do it. Okay. So... Th- Here's how I saw it, and I and it, this was a bit predictable, but I saw the brother twist coming like a half hour in. Well, I didn't know that he was going to end up being an, a, a second invisible man by the end, but I did know that he was going to, you know, b- betray her and, you know, side with Adrian somehow. No, I thought that the brother was actually dead, or Adrian was actually dead. Oh, okay. Because okay. I don't know how you fake that death and put it in, you know, get it on some tech blog <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> well, you know, the the the, uh, the CNET of the Invisible Man world reported on this guy's death. Okay, okay. Here's the thing, Nico. What? I picked up immediately that the script was absolutely terrible. Yeah, no. Let me just finish this train <laughs> so, of thought. I, I, get, I get it. Let so me just finish this train knew- of thought. So I figure, okay, Adrian's actually dead. And yeah. he left her $5 million. Yeah. The brother, jealous of Elizabeth Moss's inheritance. Yeah. Begins torturing her as a way of getting her imprisoned to get the five million dollars back that he feels entitled to. Mm-hmm. Like that to me just makes a lot more sense. It's an yeah. easy to understand ploy. The motivation is clear. There are no plot holes in that. Brother is actually the invisible man all along and he's posing as his dead brother, Adrian. Yes. Then they add. So they, they reveal that twist when there's 20 minutes left in the movie. Turns out it's actually the brother in the suit all along. He's been the invisible man all along. And then they go out of their way <laughs> to trap Adrian in the basement behind sheetrock. Yes. So just none of this makes any sense to me. If if the two of them, the two brothers were in cahoots all along, why go through the rigmarole of giving her $5 million? <laughs> it's a Rube Goldberg machine of a, of a script. What is Adrian trying to accomplish exactly? He just wants her back? Yeah, he's a psychopath and he wants to control her. He wants to have a kid. He wants all that. He wants his life perfectly constructed for him. Just a very expensive plot. 
No, that, exactly. No, this is what I'm saying is that the script is is ridiculous. It's and I, I picked that up immediately just through the tone. And I was like, OK, I know exactly what this is from 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 a standpoint of like fucking God. I don't know. Uva Ball to Aaron Sorkin. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is about this this is about i don't know uh, what's a good brett what's ratner a, it's it's about <laughs> it's about 20 percent above brett ratner okay i'm not saying it's that bad okay um <laughs> But, um, that's, that's, yeah, I was going to say that's sort of the thing. It's like, if you take it for what it is and just watch the, the thriller horror experience, it is so much fun. Yeah. I had a blast with the movie. Yeah, I really did. And that's the thing that I was just, I, I went for the craft of those sequences of, oh my God, there's someone standing in that corner. I mean, every single time the camera pans to nothing, it was chilling. Yes. I loved it. I thought it was great. How about the breath? Oh, it's awesome. Outside. See, here's the thing. I was so worried that they were going to add the the sound of him going like, oh, which they do in the trailer, but they didn't. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, oh my God, it would be so much scarier if it was just silent and you just see the breath. Right. And then they did it. I was mm. like, yes, <laughs> that's awesome. And the whole movie's like that. Like I said, you could criticize, I don't know how the hell he washes off all that paint so quickly, but whatever, <laughs> whatever. It's fun. It's all in good fun. <laughs> and like I said, I'm taking the movie for what it is. And it is, it's a, it's a great, it's a great Halloween movie. Oh my God. I would love this one on Halloween. It's a blast. And it's a really it good is. one for a quarantine. Yes. Yeah. yeah excellent. Actually, I watched it right. with my mother. My mother and I sat down and watched this thing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was terrified all throughout, and I had a great time. It was a nice yeah. uh, mother-son bonding experience. Yes, watching Elizabeth it's- Moss get beat up by an invisible man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was a real fun time. Uh, fun. I also I also took the plunge and watched Onward. Yeah, the latest Pixar release. Good for you. Um, not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, but not great. No, I mean not great, but I mean we're judging it based on the Pixar filmography, so sure. it's a pretty steep curve we're judging this against. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the Chris Pratt voiceover performance is atrocious. It's atrocious. Yeah, it's really bad, and I think that's one of the reasons why I couldn't get into the movie. Tom Holland is good, and Julia Louis Dreyfus is good. Octavia Spencer's in it, but like Chris Pratt is so generically broy. Oh. In this movie, and it just felt like a character that you would see in a DreamWorks movie. Okay. <laughs> and I wrote about this on Letterboxd this week, and, I, and no shade on DreamWorks, because DreamWorks has made some very good movies in the past. The Shrek franchise, How to Train Your Dragon, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but this feels way more like a DreamWorks movie than it does a Pixar movie. Interesting. One of the things that Pixar does so well, in my opinion, is the ability to make uh, the mundane seem adventurous. It's what Toy Story does. That's what Finding Nemo does. Um, that's what something like Up does. You look at the fish tank in Finding Nemo. That thing is Alcatraz Island. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's that uh, that's that vast in scope, even though it's this small, ordinary household item. Toy Story, mm-hmm. the entire franchise is defined by that. Um, this movie just feels like it's cheating because they okay. add wizard spells and they add mystical creatures. And uh, it, it just... It felt like a cheap way to get some laughs and thrills okay. um, and something that kids will enjoy because it's so loud and explosive. All right. That being said, um, 
the last 20 minutes of this movie are just remarkable. Okay. And I was bawling my eyes out in my bedroom alone <laughs> watching this thing. Isn't that a common thread with Pixar movies, though? I, I'm, I'm actually getting to the point now where I get annoyed where I see an ending like that in a Pixar movie. Because every fucking ending of a movie is like that. Right. It's just trying to get you to cry. How every, dare you mess with me like that? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but ever since Toy Story 3, it's the same note they play every time. Now, again, sometimes it works quite well in, like, Toy Story 4. Oh my is, god, Toy Story 4. Yeah. But that and and I I really like Coco, but I I had that same reaction where I was like, okay, you're doing that same beat again where you're 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 almost being manipulative with how you're trying to tug at our heartstrings. Mm. So, I mean, okay, it's not like egregious or anything. It's just like can we try something new? I don't know. Uh yeah, I this this one doesn't play all the same notes. Uh, I guess it's a similar emotion, but there's some real visual inventiveness happening in the last act of this movie. Um, and just some like grade A filmmaking. Like if you saw some of these shots in a live action film, it would blow you away. Like I felt just, that way. Well, I was gonna say I felt that way about Toy Story Four though. Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. Filmmaking here is really good. Yeah and, yeah, and I felt the same way about this one. Um, it's just a real uh, emotional gut punch. This last twenty minutes and really smart and insightful. And I guess all Pixar movies are like that. The basement is incredibly high with Pixar movies. Um, even twenty five years into it. This one again, just the subject matter felt like kind of a cheat. And I know that Pixar has done fairy tales before. By no means is The Incredibles a grounded story. By no means is uh, Wally a grounded story or Brave or anything like that. Even Coco, you just mentioned. I really like Coco. But that's a movie about a magical land of the dead as well. Yep. Um, this one just felt extra generic. All right. And I just couldn't help but think, oh, this is just a slightly above average DreamWorks movie and a slightly below average Pixar movie. It's probably fair, you know. Who knows, though? May, like I said to you, maybe I would like it more than uh, Inside Out. You never know. Yeah, well, y- you like pl- Pink Flamingos better than Inside Out, so... That's that's actually true. <laughs> it's not saying much. <laughs> I, do, I was very happy with our, 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 our text chain when we were talking about this, and you sent me Bing Bong. And what Bing the fu- Bong! Yeah, and I sent you Peter Stormare putting Steve Buscemi <laughs> in the wood chipper. How dare you do that to Richard Kind, one of our great American actors? <laughs> I always Voice forget that, that. I always forget that that's fucking Richard Kind and that stupid performance. One uh, more movie for you. One more. Yeah. Um, this one has been talked about quite a bit on the internet, despite yeah. no one having seen it. Well, your boy just saw it. It's called The Hunt. Oh, really? Okay. Saw The Hunt. How was it? Fucking awesome. Was it awesome? It was so fun. All right. Dude, sometimes a movie just comes around right place, right time. And this movie has been riddled with controversy. The theatrical release got pushed because there was this bogus story that I think Donald Trump started, which was that this was a movie about liberals killing conservatives. And that is true. This is a movie about liberals killing conservatives. But in no way does it take the side of the liberals. Okay. This is a satirical movie about how stupid political uh, debate is in this country and how stupid tribalism is and how we should all just forget about politics and get along. Cool. Um, so like it's <laughs> it's incredibly irreverent. It it gives no fucks about the political commentary. It just goes for it and says what it has to say. And um, you know, it, it was supposed to come out in September. Didn't come out in September. Then it 
is slated to come out in March, gets pushed again because of the coronavirus, and now it's at home, and we're all home, and this movie is now available for each of us to rent. And I think mm-hmm. now, ironically, even though its uh, release date has been pushed twice, it could not have worked out better for them, because I think more people are going to see this movie now than would have seen it otherwise. Yeah, I will be seeing it. Yeah, and it is exactly the type of movie you want right now. In a time where you are frustrated by politicians, where uh, you're not smiling about much, where there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, this thing is just a blast. It is violent and irreverent and breaks rules uh, and shocks you and surprises you. It's uber violent. It's hysterical. This is exactly the type of movie I needed this week. It put me in such a good mood. And I'm not usually a fan of like slasher comedies. But this one is uh, is awesome. All right, it's so good, man. It's so good. Is it is it great? Let me put it this way: it's not good, but it's great. <laughs> How about that? Uh, okay, well, that can mean a lot of different things. But <laughs> all right, I'll give it a shot. Total we'll blast! See. The first fifteen minutes of this movie, you will die laughing. All right, what they do in the first fifteen minutes of this movie, setting up who the protagonist is will will blow your mind i just i'm watching you watch that scene and you're cackling away okay <laughs> it's my sense of humor is oh that what you're saying? yeah it's so dark and perverse it's so good dude <laughs> great <laughs> everybody lay off this movie all you like prestigious snooty critics bashing the hunt just lay back have a good time okay and also right. betty gilpin who's the lead i had not seen her in anything before i heard she was awesome oh my god she makes such interesting decisions in this movie. Like okay. her line readings, her delivery, uh, it, it's incredible. Okay. It's incredible. The hunt. All right. All right. Well, I'll have to find it. Yeah. Y- you can find it. <coughs> Excuse me. I it's just up. sneezed. I'm dying. Now I'm going to crack a Pepsi. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to talk about the movies in 1986 with you. How about that, Adam? <sighs> Pepsi, you fucking communist. <laughs> I will not have this debate now. (laughs) We're all about to die in three days. Class of 1986, your nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame are Manhunter, The Fly, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Aliens, Platoon, and Blue Velvet. Good year. Very good year, I think. We have a difficult choice ahead of us. Yeah. I have quite a few honorable mentions, by the way. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I only listed the major ones, um, but this is really strong. I feel like you could easily get another six nominees out of this. So, no Top Gun. No, but I'm fine with that because I don't love Top Gun. Neither do I, but America would disagree with us, I think. (laughs) I don't know why. It is the gayest movie I've ever seen in my life, but you know. That being said, I am so psyched for Top Gun Maverick. I'm not. I'm so okay. psyched. The trailer looks amazing. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It yeah, looks so it generic. It yeah, looks it fine. No Stand By Me. We nominated it when we did Stephen King, so we didn't feel the need to double down. Crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. No, that's a knife. You know, when I hear that line, I don't think about Crocodile Dundee. I think about that episode of The Simpsons where they go to Australia Really? And the Australian guy holds a spoon out in front of him and goes, that's not a knife. This is a knife. (laughs) (laughs) So good. good. Hannah and her sisters just talked about last week. B. 
Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. That's Personal favorite of yours, right? Fucking awesome. I mean, I, I think you would, well, you get a kick out of it. It's again, it's, it's another me movie. It's, it's just a, 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 my God, it's like every flavor you could imagine. It's just goofy, <laughs> right. but I mean, it's a ton of fun. It's a gusher is what it yeah, is. It, it is. It's a gusher. Uh, Color of Money. Oh, it's solid. I like that movie. Yeah. Solid movie. Great dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who wrote that? Was it? Uh, Ooh, I don't know who wrote it. Was it Jonathan Price? Really? Let me look that up real quick. It's got great, like, uh, like crime fiction. Di- yeah, Richard Richard Price, not Jonathan oh, Price. Okay. Richard Price. Cool. Uh, yeah, the uh, the novelist. Awesome screenplay. Pretty in Pink. All right. John Hughes. We have another one on the list. No need to nominate that one. Little Shop of Horrors came out that year. Haven't seen it. She's Gotta Have It, the first Spike Lee movie. Haven't seen that either. I think we're going to do a Spike Lee podcast pretty soon. Because there's a lot that. of Spike Lee movies we've overlooked. Yeah. Uh, a couple Why Is This a Thing favorites. True Stories. Ooh, I love that movie. I know you do. It's a solid film. Labyrinth. <laughs> okay. Critters. Critters. Howard the Duck. Best movie on this list. Best one. And uh, I think the biggest omission, one that uh, we came very close to nominating, Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. But we can do a sports pod. I'm down for doing a sports pod. And that one's got a shot, I think. Yeah. I feel like sports might be a little too broad, but... Well, I I mean, honestly, there's not as many like great sports movies as you'd think. Like, I mean, great movies. There's like the obvious ones like Rocky and I guess if you want to count Raging Bull. Uh, but I mean, after that, a lot of them are just kind of good. I mean, I haven't seen Friday Night Lights, but I hear it's awesome. So I mean, the show is better, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe we do non-boxing sports movies. Yeah, that's an idea. Because I think if you were to list the best sports movies, the top maybe three or five are all boxing. Pretty much. You know? Yeah, that would be a good idea. Okay. Sit on that. Uh, highest grossing movie of the year, Adam Hall, was... Blue Velvet. No, unfortunately no. not. Shit. Lynch fever did not hit America in 1986. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Top Gun, number one movie of that year, followed by Crocodile Dundee, Platoon, The Karate Kid Part 2, and Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Oh, no. Okay. Back to School was number six. Interesting. How about that? That's a good movie. I like that movie. Your nominees for Best Picture, Hannah and Her Sisters, Children of a Lesser God, The Mission, A View with a Room. Or no, not a view. <laughs> what? <laughs> not A View with a Room, A Room with a View. <laughs> and your winner of Best Picture, Platoon, Oliver Stone wins Best Director, Paul Newman, Best Actor for The Color of Money. Marley Matlin wins Best Actress for Children of a Lesser God. Great Celebrity Apprentice contestant, Marley Matlin. <laughs> you would. You're the only person who knows that. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Michael Caine, Best Supporting Actor for Hannah and Her Sisters. And Diane Wiest, Best Supporting Actress for Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, the National Film Registry inducted five movies this year. They were Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Hoosiers, Platoon, She's Gotta Have It, and Top Gun. Hmm. 
I'm surprised they haven't inducted aliens yet. I'm surprised Blue Velvet's not on there yet. Yeah, me too. Well, maybe we'll remedy that today. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Let's begin with Manhunter. Okay. Let's get right into it. Let's just do this All now. Right. Oh boy, Written and okay. directed by Michael Mann, based on the novel Red Dragon by Thomas Harris, starring William Peterson, Kim Greist, Joan Allen, Brian Cox, Dennis Farina, one of my favorites, and mm. Tom Noonan. Former FBI profiler Will Graham returns to service to pursue a deranged serial killer named the Tooth Fairy by the media. Yeah. Um, this is the first Hannibal Lecter movie. Yep, it is. That's correct. But Anthony Hopkins is not in the role of Hannibal Lecter. Instead, that is Brian Cox. Yep. Who is doing the best work of his career currently <laughs> on Succession. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about this movie. But he's pretty damn good in this. He's um, pretty good. He's this, fine. this is the subject of, of one of our signature debates, <laughs> you and I. I don't know why. <laughs> like, even it, like, the thing is, even though, like, I, I, like, I don't know of all the movies for this to come up with, I don't know why this one, like, matters so much. I don't know us. either. It's just like, oh, really? I'm not I, sure I, why this is the hill I've chosen to die on, but here I yeah. am anyway, bleeding out. <laughs> I, because there, well, because here's the history is that you have this movie, then you, of course, you have Silence of the Lambs and then Hannibal. And then in 2002, a, uh, another adaptation of the Red Dragon novel comes out called simply Red Dragon, and it stars Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. And I actually think that movie is uh, significantly better than Manhunter. That's crazy to me. And I don't think like see, I rewatched Manhunter to to, to get a better grounding of whether or not I still felt that way. And Manhunter actually got worse. What the hell? <laughs> What the hell are you talking about? Actually, got worse. And I was what like, "What are you oh my. talking about?" I st- I still like the movie. Like, it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot, actually a lot of really good elements about that. I just, I just kept honestly, honest to God, I kept thinking, "Wow, this scene is done so much better in Red Dragon." <laughs> That's insane to me. Yeah. Now, here, funny enough, I have had that experience, but not with Red Dragon. Because I've seen these scenes playing out in the television show Hannibal mm, with Matt yeah. Mickelson, which is a show that I adore. And there were times where I saw those scenes play out and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is better than Manhunter. And it's certainly way better than Red Dragon. Um, I, I still think like Silence of the Lambs is the best Hannibal Lecter story. But that show on NBC that only ran for three seasons is right up there. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, but I really have a soft spot in my heart for Manhunter. And I think that's because I have a soft spot in my heart for Michael Mann. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the thing that's keeping you back. Because, Nico, this movie, ain't it's not flawless by a long shot. Okay, give me fact, some of the flaws. Well, it's boring. It's not boring. <laughs> there are, I mean, the movie is, is like a like a cop procedural drama for some reason. Hell yeah. Um, it's incredibly flat. Um, the movie has zero forward momentum. Um, it, it doesn't feel like the scenes happening are motivated at all. It's just like we're saying, okay, we got to get to this plot point. So push the characters along arbitrarily. Um, give me an example of that. What do you mean? I'm talking, I'm just talking, it's, that's more just an editing problem. Like again, like I think the most noticeable difference is when, um, or not difference, but the most noticeable, um, examples when, 
uh, William Peterson gets mad at Stephen Lang's character, and then he just runs into the parking lot, and he's like, okay, I gotta go see Lecter now. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, you're going to see Lecter? Oh, uh, okay. Okay, fine. And there's a lot of that throughout the movie. And, um, yeah, I, I would say that the characters have very little to do. It's so funny, because I, when, I, when watching it, I was like, okay, like... There's some really good performances in this movie, but it doesn't feel like any one character has sufficient screen time. It feels like everyone is kind of cut short or scenes were edited down and literal scenes are just like copied and pasted. I mean, most scenes with William Peterson are just him looking at a television and like boring. Okay, (laughs) Or on a telephone. (laughs) It's it's yeah, it's like. It's, and this is where I, I I struggle is because I I think he's way better than Edward Norton is in Red Dragon. It's not even close. No, and the character is much more fascinating. But the problem is that he's not given very much to do. It's like it's it's whatever. It's okay. But I remember watching him being like, "You could have done so much more with this story." And every time I thought that, I was like, "Oh man, Red Dragon does much more with this story. I just want to watch that." And they add a lot more meat onto it, and it's it, like this one feels very bare in comparison. And the the I I mean, you can make the argument that I mean this this movie is much more its own singular vision as opposed to Red Dragon, which is just a prequel to Silence of the Lambs, and it's definitely trying to be. Mm. But but the template set forth by Silence of the Lambs is so good that it's still better than what Michael Mann was going for in this movie, in my opinion. And I mean, yeah, fine. Like Red Dragon might be a little derivative, but at least it works. Um, and there, there are many scenes in Manhunter. I'm like, ew, that didn't work. That didn't work. The only thing that's like remarkable is Tom Noonan. And holy shit, is he good? In this he's movie. amazing in this. Yeah, he's so good. What's his name? What's the character name again? Um, Francis Dollarhide. Dollarhide. Yeah. Yeah. Great name. Oh, so good. Yeah. Okay, here's a theory that I have, and I'm just coming up with this now on the fly, so see if this makes sense to you. Uh, Michael Mann started out in television. Yeah. Started out on a show called Miami Vice, creator Mm -hmm. of Miami Vice, and comes from the grand tradition of television cop procedurals. Yep. And this movie, in fact, stars William Peterson, the star of CSI, Uh, Gil Grissom in CSI. So, And Dennis Farina, too, is uh, one of the great television uh, cop show actors. I think this movie is more born out of the tradition of police procedurals and it is particularly interested in the actual crime and the investigation Mm -hmm. that goes into solving that crime. Whereas Silence of the Lambs, Jonathan Demme does not have that television background and he made a very conscious choice in that movie to make it about Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. And to almost make it a tone poem about Clary Starling and Hannibal's relationship and the inner conflict going on with her. And the crime is almost secondary. Mm-hmm. It is the relationship of Clarice and Hannibal that is the singular thrust of that movie. And it feels yeah. very unconventional in that way. Doesn't feel like an old school police procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everything that came after that is trying to mimic the template of Silence of the Lambs, whereas Manhunter is trying to mimic, say, Miami Vice. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that because I like cop shows. And I think <laughs> I, I just sort of acknowledge that this is from another era. I, I don't think that Michael Mann had figured out exactly the most interesting part of this story 
They had not mm-hmm. cracked the code of this franchise, which is make Hannibal the centerpiece. Brian Cox is only in this movie for like 10 minutes. Like two scenes. He's yeah. in it for two scenes. Okay, probably less than 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, And like they're just trying to accomplish two different things. Yeah. Is that wrong? No, I'm I'm just well, he, well, dirty little secret about me, Nico. I fucking hate cop dramas. Okay. I hate them. <laughs> they are reprehensible to me. They're the most boring pieces of media I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> I would I would rather Jesus Christ. What the hell? I would rather watch basketball. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's a <laughs> Okay. Hot take. That's just a little dig. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I I get nothing out of them. But the thing is and, and you're completely right about that. It's very much a, a case of the the filmmakers didn't know what they had with the Hannibal Lecter character, which is fine. It's whatever. It's a different story. Um but this movie feels like it was made for TV like the entire way through. And it's very mm-hmm. dated. I mean that ending on the beach is awful. I mean there's Not a lot a of Not a great like, ending. Not a great yeah. ending. No. There's a lot of moments like that throughout the movie where I'm just like, oh, this is from a this is from an era, and it's interesting as like a time capsule piece, but th- that inherently means I'm not watching it the way it's meant to be viewed, which okay, but I feel like I get a much more pure experience out of the later version that we got, and it's much more compelling. And I think about the scene where he first goes to see Lecter, and it's like it's fine. It's like okay, it, it works well enough. The only thing better about it in Manhunter is William Peterson's performance. Mm-hmm. But even like the interplay and, and the way it's cut together in Red Dragon and, and it takes more time. It's much more atmospheric. The music is a lot better, a lot better. And yeah, it just actually works as a cinematic experience, whereas this is just feels like out of place. And it's very obvious that Michael Mann, he, he certainly hadn't fallen into his groove. Let's Let's just say that. I just think it's hard to view this movie in the shadow of Silence of the Lambs, and that's why you're having some problems with it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just... I do think I'm that just... if you watched it in a bubble, and this is just, I don't know, an episode of Law & Order, mm-hmm. it's the best episode of Law & Order you've ever seen. <laughs> but I hate even the best episodes of Law & Order. Yeah, I know, but like... Law & Order the, sucks. The genre has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. And that, like now, this idea of the thin line between the cop and the criminal is the only thing you see in crime fiction. You see it on True Detective. You see it on any HBO detective show. Thin line between cop and criminal. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's what Sides of the Lambs is. That's what Hannibal was about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. Like, they they hadn't gotten there yet. There's a little bit of that in Manhunter, but it is still in the grand tradition of police procedurals. And I think it is not only an above-average police procedural, I think it's an excellent police procedural. And I also Mm. think the filmmaking, like, you might think the story is dated, you might think the script is dated, you might think that the performances are dated. I do think that Michael Mann is doing some awesome stuff with the camera here. And I I constantly go back to that scene in the garage where the the body up in flames rolls down the the ramp. Um, I think about the final fight scene with the blind girlfriend... Um, and yeah, the, it's just chilling the, stuff, man. It's just old school Michael Mann thriller, mm-hmm. and I am a sucker for that. You know how I feel about Heat. You yeah. know, you, you know how I feel about uh, movies like this, and <sighs> yeah, I, I I think it's endlessly watchable. You might call it boring. I don't I don't find it boring at all. Mm. I just find it different. 
And I, I'm okay with this version of the Hannibal Lecter story, even if it's not the ideal version of the Hannibal Lecter story. Well, that that's the thing, though. I, it just doesn't work as well. And I mean, it's hard for me to separate that. I don't know. I don't even know if I necess- wasn't necessarily watching it in a bubble. I understood the fact that it was going to be different. I mean, especially based on when it came out. But there are many, many moments where I'm like, that just didn't work. Even the the scene with the guy burning alive in the, in the uh, Jesus Christ, in the garage. It's like... I, I don't know. It just it, it it didn't have a lot of impact for me. And it had and more the, impact in Red Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it did. By the way, Red Dragon directed by the aforementioned Brett Ratner. Are you just getting hung up on the fact that it's directed by Brett Ratner and <laughs> of Brett? Of course Ratner. not. Brett Ratner's best effort as a director is, in my opinion, better than a fine effort by Michael Mann. Yeah, that's heresy. No, it's not. That's it's true. That's <laughs> it's a hundred percent true. It's okay. It's is Red think, Dragon Brett Ratner's best movie. Yeah, it is. Yikes. Yeah. It's either that or like one of the rush hour films, but yeah. Okay. Yikes, dude. So yeah. How does this guy keep getting work? Well, he's a producer. He still directs. He just did that Hercules movie from a couple years ago. Yeah. Twenty fourteen. <laughs> did I tell you the story about the guy? in target that was looking for the director's cut of hercules when i worked Why? at target uh, okay he was like 80 and he was walking around all like senile and shit because that's what 80 year olds do and what did you say to and him? he comes up to me and he goes do you have the director's cut of hercules and it was just coming out that day the guy okay. went to target to buy hercules on dvd the first day it came out and he wasn't satisfied when he only saw the original cut he wanted wow. more scenes in Hercules. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> he wanted all the fat on the bone. <laughs> he just loves The Rock as Hercules. It's yeah, a great, man. it's a star-making performance for The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Stream Manhunter on stars. Yeah. It's better I feel than Red ba- Dragon. I, well, I feel bad just shitting on the movie because that's like all I just did. Because I, I, I like the movie enough. Like, I think it works well enough just not like greatly on a scene by scene basis it's like every other scene is pretty good but again like it's just missing a lot of like interesting fat i just find the movie serviceable aside from that ending which is pretty dope and that's it now, i don't mean like the ending with the beach i mean like the the, the finale yeah the climax the, yeah, yeah yeah of course that's great and tom noonan is uh, like excellent in the movie i don't know i just heard you call it boring and procedural and well, Not I just I just des- redescribed it to you as boring. I said it was fine for most of the movie. Okay. And there's a great there's a moment here and there just a, just as the even the worst movies have. But you know, mm. what are you gonna do? Hey, no, I like, this. like you're you're totally reversing on it. No, I don't stick think stick to your guns, Adam. I don't think I'm reversing on. I told you I like the finale. Stick to your guns. I told you I like the finale. Red Dragon is a masterpiece, and Manhunter is a piece of shit. Uh, let's talk about the fly. Uh, Talk about the fly. Well, I don't think it's a piece of shit. <laughs> it's just not great. The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg, starring Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and John Getz, winner of Best Makeup at the Academy Awards. A brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after mm. one of his experiments goes horribly, horribly wrong. I uh, had this one on in the background. I didn't get through all of it, but I had it on in the background as I was doing some research. Um, just because I, I really find it fun and mm-hmm. I know that's a weird thing for me to say because I normally don't find movies like this particularly fun 
Um, but the body horror in this is so over the top and gross and disgusting yep. that I, I think like it, 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 uh, it somehow transcended the, the need to vomit for me and it just <laughs> became entertaining. You know, sometimes it does that sickly entertaining. Yeah. I think it just, it, I just fast forward through all my disgust and by the end of it, I was incredibly entertained. Uh, you nominated this movie and I imagine oh. it's one of your all time faves. That's because it is one of my all-time favorites. Thought so. This movie's a fucking masterpiece, man. <laughs> this movie is excellent in every regard. I wouldn't change a thing about it. It's my favorite Cronenberg film. Uh, and he's made some good ones. Cronenberg's actually an underrated filmmaker in a I way. I think this is the Cronenberg film, though, right? Uh, yeah, you could make an argument for Scanners and Videodrome, but this is the, um, yeah, this is the one that I think most people are going to cite. Crash. Yeah, Crash. Uh, a History <laughs> of Violence is really good. Sure. Did you see Maps to the Stars from a couple years ago? No, I heard it was fucking weird, though. I've been meaning to watch it. Yeah, me too. Sounds like a very me movie. Uh, I, I would not put any Cronenberg down as a Nico movie. Yeah, but just like people just driving through L.A. looking for famous people's houses. I don't think that's really what goes on in the movie. Isn't that the plot? I think there's a. I think it gets a little weirder than that. Okay. Yeah. Regardless, though, this movie is excellent, as I said. And uh, oh my God, Jeff Goldblum! What is there? To, <laughs> what is there to say about Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> Holy shit! What is there to say about Jeff Goldblum? Uh, you know, he, he at- never. I, I don't think he ever transcended this role. Uh, well, I think he's been chasing this role ever since. That's not a dig, because <laughs> it's a great performance. But I kind of feel like he he nailed the Jeff Goldblum thing here, and yeah. ever since he's been playing mad scientists. You know what I'm saying? In a way, I mean, he's very good in Jurassic Park. Of you course, know, that guy. You know, he's got he's, he pops up every once in a while. You know, would you, you know call Jeff Goldblum an actor with a lot of range? <laughs> uh, I lost my mantra. Uh, <laughs> you know what that's from, Nico? What is it? Is Grand Budapest Hotel? Annie Hall. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, <laughs> something like that. That's like I think it. I think that's his, one of his first on-screen performances. I think you're right about that. Yeah, it's a weird one, but he's in it. Yeah, is does he have range? You know, the funny thing is, I actually think he has a decent amount of range if you look across like this, then to Jurassic Park, and then the Lost World. Oddly. I actually think he plays a very good character in that, and it's very different from something like what he plays in the first Jurassic Park and and even uh, this movie as well, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But generally speaking, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Does he have a lot of range? Not really. Not really. And I think you're watching this movie, and you can sort of see him honing in on the Jeff Goldblum thing. You know? Oh, yeah. The cadence, mm-hmm. the wide eyes. Oh, yeah. The insanity of it. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, he's just like the perfect actor for a role like this. And that's a weird yeah. thing to say because a role like this is not, you know, destined for many people. But well, <laughs> I think Cronenberg found the guy. It's funny because, well, I mean, this is, this is the, the interesting thing and in how, how strange of a choice cast, casting really is and what it comes down to. Because you would not look at this guy and say, yeah, he's the lead. But I think it's just the man's like charisma and confidence you can tell that this guy feels like he could do anything, even though like he's not suited for like like the man with the gun necessarily. I mean, not, not to say that that's what he's playing. I'm just saying like I could see Jeff Goldblum going into a meeting and being like, I'm going to try to play someone who's going to be an assassin or whatever, because I'm fucking Jeff Goldblum. Right. <laughs> so but in this like like you're right, there's such a 
there's such a strangeness to his character, but at, at the same time, such a lovability and the amount of humanity and everything that he does just leads to this wonderfully tragic conclusion. And it, and it, it earns every second of it. And I mean, it, it really is all sold through his performance at the end of the day. I mean, I watched this movie, I've seen it a, a, a couple times now and yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine how much worse off this movie would be if he was not in it. Because um, I mean, it, which is weird. Because I think everything about the movie is great, even aside from him. But I mean, th- I mean, honestly, it's hard to separate him from this performance now. Well, there's a lot of him in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's not many characters in this movie. It's no. him. It's Gina Davis, and it's the boyfriend. Yep, pretty much. And, and it's basically just a, a two-hander there between Davis and Goldblum. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, there's a lot of character in this. The thing about Goldblum, and I like put him in the category of like Johnny Depp. It's Johnny <laughs> Depp, it's him, maybe a little bit, well, Jack Nicholson is not like this. Really, it's Goldblum and Johnny Depp are both incredibly strange and incredibly cool at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would- I would say that's certainly the case for um, um, uh, Jeff Goldblum. I feel like Johnny Depp used to be that way, but he has since left this planet and he's never coming back. Right. Well, we know that. So <laughs> the planet he has traveled to is called Australia, and he's not coming back because he's got the coronavirus. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's like women want to fuck him, but men want to run as far away from him as possible. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Ooh, that what what a bastard! Yeah. He just wins every battle. <laughs> it wins every battle. Wins every battle. Like he's the guy, the wide eyes at the end of the bar. You don't want to fuck with him because he might pop off or he might bring a pistol to a knife fight. Mm. Yep. And, and also, Gina Davis in her prime wants to sleep with him. Yep. I will say so- the relationship is uh, watching it again after all these years has aged not so great. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, she doesn't have great journalistic ethics. I think we need to have a discussion about that. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) You know, just don't sleep with sources. Didn't we go through this whole thing with the Richard Jewell movie? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Olivia Wilde sleeps with John Hamm in order to get a story in the Richard Jewell movie. Okay. Way to spoil Richard Jewell for me. It's not a spoiler. This was a big story. You didn't see this? What are you talking about? I didn't see that. Yeah, the newspaper that she worked for sued Clint, I think. Or they were threatening to sue. Oh, was that like secret? And they... No, and they're like, saying it never happened. But the woman is has since passed away, who the character is based on. Oh, okay. Interesting. I didn't... Yeah, and I didn't the movie hear any acu- of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie accuses her of sleeping with the sword. And Olivia Wilde's like, oh, we didn't really imply that i never meant to do the movie i wouldn't have done the role if i thought that's what we were implying but okay yeah i mean she definitely sleeps with john ham in that movie it definitely happens <laughs> all right no but poor journalistic ethics is all i'm saying gina davis on the first date when you're when you're researching for your by the way what is gina davis doing working for a science publication i don't know hey science is important man it's very important nowadays we need those vaccines <laughs> We don't want to turn into fly people. I guess. I, I just don't think a, a woman like Gina Davis is... I mean, the movie just doesn't get reporting right at all. Like, a magazine <laughs> newsroom doesn't look like that. There there are no women who look like Gina Davis working for Scientific Monthly or whatever. Nico, that's not the fucking point. So just, I'm just telling you, it hasn't aged well. And also, she's not sleeping with sources on the second date. It's not happening. That's fine. I don't. I don't care. That's not my interest in the movie whatsoever. I mean, I'm not publishing that piece. No. Why not? 
publish that piece. How can you, man? Too many conflicts of interest. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm just saying. It, it's if if the if the source is Jeff Goldblum, I mean, how could you not sleep with him? <laughs> uh, the movie uh, is a remake, actually, of yep. another movie called The Fly, which I have not seen. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, actually, I have. Do you like it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's it's kind of a B movie, and it's it's very different. I mean, it's so different. I mean, it follows like a basic beat story structure from from this one. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's oddly like the ending is actually really like like it just gets under my skin. Like because I saw when I was younger, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. Where because he like crossbred with the, the fly, and there were two different parts. Where it's like the man hybrid, and then the fly hybrid, like the little fly, and he gets stuck in like a spider web, and then a spider comes down and eats him. Oh no! Right before he's crushed by a rock, and it's like. And he's just saying, like, help me. Oh, God. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. So, yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> I need to see that. It's You might like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I imagine, though, the the original fly is not as graphic no. as the new fly. <laughs> and I think few- this is what the movie is known for. It is the body horror movie, right? Yeah. I mean, there are a few movies I think I've ever seen that are this just grotesque in every conceivable way, like creatively grotesque. Holy shit. Mm. This movie's disgusting. The fingernails (laughs) falling off. Oh my God. The scene where he's like testing the food and whatnot. And he just looks like this, like a, like a barrel of pus. He looks like a zit Mm. and he's just like falling apart at the seams at the end. You just want to pop him. When, when, When Gina Davis rips his jaw off. No, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my! It's great. Like it's incredible work. I mean, and it it there's not a single moment that does not work. Mm-hmm. I I even love the little moments where she, where they're they're getting intimate, and then she feels his back, and he's got the little hairs there. Oh Ugh. my god! It's disgusting. Terrible. I know. <laughs> and then and then when the guy like he like throws up on the guy's hand, and it just melts away. It just in terms of like graphic set pieces of body horror it really doesn't get much better than this honestly like videodrome is is up there videodrome is pretty close okay but this is a little bit not scanners uh Mm, not quite scanner but scanners certainly has its moments okay yeah even i can embrace something like this and i know that it's meant for the weirdos like adam and several others that i'm sure listen to this (laughs) podcast who love campy 80s horror movies (laughs) Um, yes but but the thing is is that this is um the human element here is so strong mm. and it so deeply affects its character and the movie never ever shies away from that that it's hard not to be gripped by it yes i mean if if ari aster were to make a body horror film it would feel something like this oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah i think you're right about that it's so visceral and it's so character based and like the movie has such a such a focus Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just yeah. zeroes in on its plot and it gets off to the races right away and it doesn't stop. Nope. I was struck by that watching the opening credits. The yeah. Fly is the first text you see. It's mm-hmm. one of those movies where the title just pops onto the screen and a couple credits and then boom, you're there with Goldblum and Gina Davis in like the scientific convention. Right yep. there, you start off. There's no exposition. There is no filler whatsoever. No fat on the bone. It just nope. gets right into the story. And it's effective, and you Even have to respect. Ending. Oh, of course, yeah, hundred percent right. There, there mm-hmm. is no denouement. There nope. is just the end, 
Um, yep. And it ends at the perfect moment and it's tragic and it's touching and it's disgusting and it's all those things at once. Yep. Really awesome. The dream sequence with Gina Davis getting the abortion. Oh, oh God. The slug. Yeah. yeah. This movie just, it, it lives in your head though. Like that's usually like the best movies for me. Like I always say, if it can live in your head like this, but like deeply affect you. Like, like I said, on a human level, it just works. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, 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 it's the best kind of filmmaking for better or for worse. Right. Uh, I, I, I really can't praise this film enough, honestly. And then you got the, it's even quotable. I mean, be afraid, be very afraid. It's just, you I know. did not know that that came from this movie. Really? I just found that in my research. Yeah, no. I just assumed but, that that quote had been used because when I saw it, I think the first time, I thought it was a cliche. Mm-hmm. No, it's I'm like, movie. oh, really, Cronenberg? You're just throwing in be afraid, be very afraid? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. You were so wrong, Nico. I was so wrong. He's the one that invented it. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's insanely quotable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I could go on and on. And just, it's just there's, there's not much about this movie that I don't like. It's, it's, it's fan- fantastic. If you have not seen it and you have an hour and a half to kill, and um, you have a, a stomach that is not easily disturbed, stream the fly on stars. Oh, sweet. There you okay. Go. Um, I don't know about you, Adam. Feeling twenty two. I, I. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> um, I I don't think those first two have a shot of getting inducted. Do you agree? Uh, again, Manhunter's fine, uh, but it has absolutely no shot. Uh-huh. The fly, you could make some kind of argument for. It certainly has, it's certainly worthy of some consideration. Okay. I mean, I think I, oof, I think, yeah, I, dude, I don't know. It's pretty... I might like it more than Platoon. All right, well, we'll Man, talk about I, it. I don't know. That's... Ooh, it's close. I'll cross it off, but I'll put it in pencil. Because I see <laughs> these next four movies as all heavyweight contenders here. And I'm having a really hard time deciding which one I would vote for. Yeah, you're right. So let's just get into it. And we'll begin... Again, I just randomized this order. This is no indication of how I feel about these movies. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yep. Written and directed by John Hughes, starring Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Mia Sarah. Holy shit, dude. When I was 10 years old, saw this movie for the first time, Mia Sarah. Woo! Don't even get me started. Vision! <laughs> yep. Vision! Yep. Dude, when they're in the pool at the end, <laughs> she's got the blouse on. You can kind of see through it and get the mm-hmm. outline of her nipple. <laughs> yep. Dude, I'm, I'm before there. internet pornography was a thing for <laughs> Nico, for a young... Budding Nico, see, I don't talk about this stuff on the pod. You do. You, you, you're, you're fucked up in your own way. I'm not <laughs> fucked up saying Mia Sarah was incredibly hot in 1985. No, you're fucked up for announcing that you were spanking it to me. I never said that. I'm just saying that it. was. You implied it. That was that was titillating? That's all. <laughs> just saying I was titillated by Mia Get, Sarah. Let's let's hit her up on Twitter and see what she thinks. What do you think she's doing these days? Good fucking question. I have no idea. I mean, unbelievably hot. I think she's yeah. on my Mount Rushmore of like '80s babes. Oddly, yeah, she always comes to mind. That's a good point. But she, yeah, she hasn't been in like anything else. Her last role was something called Pretty Pretty in 2013. All right. And she was in a, and I guess what is this? A television remake? Oh no, she was in Dorothy and the Witches of Oz, directed by Lee Scott. 
Or no, no, okay, no, I thought that was Lee Winnell. Sorry, Lee Scott is oh. nobody. Okay. <laughs> Lee Scott is nobody. <laughs> I thought it was Lee Winnell for a second. I'm like, what? <laughs> the Invisible Man guy did a... Was it a Another movie? Yeah. All right. Strange. Yeah, she's done nothing. Mia Sarah. But oh my <laughs> God, was she beautiful in Ferris Bueller. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Jones also in this movie. A high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school despite what the principal thinks of that. Yep. He's not the principal IMDB. I have to pick a nit with you. He's the dean of students. <laughs> They got that one wrong. Yeah. They sometimes get that stuff wrong. It's okay. This is Nick Evangelista's favorite movie. That is correct. It's an interesting choice, but not a bad one. It's a pretty great choice, actually. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those choices that is just mainstream enough, so people are like, oh my god, I love it, but not mm-hmm. like too mainstream where you look like a, a douche. Well, because I don't think most people are saying that this is their favorite movie. That's the thing. Right. You know, we all we both love The Godfather, but you're going to find a lot of people saying that that's their favorite movie. You might you might even find more people saying that Aliens their favorite movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see as many people saying, "You know what? Ferris Bueller's Day Off all the way." I mean, I have been searching for the original answer because I'm such a movie fan and I want to impress people with that answer, but um, I just I, haven't seen anything better than The Godfather and so I always default to that. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, for when it came out, I would have said Drive, which would have been pretty cool to some people, I suppose. But now I actually think the movie has taken on a sort of favoritism with our generation. Yeah. And so. you kind of look like a dick if you say Drive. Yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> you just look derivative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, but Ferris Bueller, again, is a perfect choice. Perfect era. Um, is zeitgeisty mm-hmm. as all hell. Mm. insanely quotable insanely recognizable the imagery here is unbelievable matthew broderick is off the chain alan ruck is off the chain oh Oh my god cameron is amazing in this movie um it's his movie that's important uh, yeah i i think this has now also become a cliche amongst film fans but you're 100 right alan ruck Mm. is the star of this movie and ferris bueller is sort of the guardian angel guiding him through the adventure that is true um so he's the one that undergoes the transformation and I mean, John Hughes just has a way of doing this, man, of just taking derivative material, mostly based in high school, and uh, adding a, a just a level of, of dramatic tension and, and heart. His movies are so heartfelt. And this movie works not only as an incredibly funny comedy, yep. but as an incredibly touching drama. I was struck by that, too, when I first saw it, because I think... I don't know what I was expecting, I guess, but I, I thought it was going to be just sort of an outrageous comedy, and it's it's really not. I mean, there are some outrageous over-the-top moments, but it always is smart to go back to those more heartfelt moments. Like, even in, like, like the scenes that aren't necessarily asking for the movie to get, like, really soulful, like, if you just get, like, Cameron saying, like, uh, like when they're in the cab, for example... Like, it's small, but it kind of speaks to the overarching themes of the movie and sort of where it's it, it its interest and heart really lies. Like, when he's just like, what does he say? Uh, he's like, what have you seen today? And he's like, eh, nothing good. And then they, they could have played that as comedy, but Ferris gets legitimately mad. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't expect that. The movie's very smart about pulling you back to reality and saying, like, no, guys, this is what it's actually about. And then we can have fun. Yeah, he legitimately cares about Cameron. Yeah, he's not just the douchey kid that's that's trying to have a good time on a joyride. Mm-hmm. Like he is, 
trying to make Cameron's life better through yeah. this day. And in a way, he did make his life better. That uh, he in did. a way, he ruined his life, but he also showed him a very important element of life, and that's just cherish the moment and fuck what everybody else thinks. Yep. Um, and like that's just super touching, and it's mm-hmm. cinematic. Above all, it's cinematic, right? Yes, I would. Well, it's one of those themes that's been tackled time and time again, but perhaps not as good as Ferris Bueller did. No, yeah, I and it's like never, never loses that that juice. I would say, mm-hmm. like I've I've seen this film. God, I don't. I have no fucking idea how many. I've times lost I've count. Seen yeah, I watched like, it just last week. It was I on watched, TV just last week. I was watching it. I might have. I watched it last month. Certainly, Abby and I throw this one on. She like every once in a while. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we love this movie. The only movie I think, man, shit. Honestly, this is gonna sound weird, but it's Ferris Bueller, <laughs> Mad Max: Fury Road, and Jaws. <laughs> I think, That's it, really. <laughs> I think those are the movies I've seen the most. Yeah. That's a rainy day movie for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good day. It's just always on cable too, and it's it's one of those movies that continues to speak to a younger generation my sister um likes movies but doesn't like old movies mm-hmm. and whenever i recommend a movie that came out pre-1990 she's just turned off by it yeah she she hates how dated some of those things feel mm-hmm. but she adores ferris bueller um, how can you not yeah because it it just has that energy that like youthful energy that speaks to every generation despite how much times have changed you well, know well, that's the thing. I mean, because if you look at it, like if you were to live in that world and like actually observe it and not think about any of the, the fun that the movie's having, if you were to cut out all of your fun for the movie, you could say that there are dated elements in the way that they, they, they dress or, or the way the schools operate or the way they talk, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, Gym but, class doesn't look like that anymore. There's not a guy <laughs> on a freaking golf cart going, you maggot, strap and give me 20. <laughs> I love it. I miss that. <laughs> I never actually experienced that. I just wish that was a no. Thing. It was all dodgeball um, for us. But 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 the thing is, is that the the movie it, again, like you said, has that youthful spirit, and it's different just enough. It's not completely in line with reality. It it certainly hints at all those ideas, but ramps them up just enough so that okay, there's a distinction here between what is real and what's the movie. But also, the movie is just about something that we all love, which is just like uh, the the joy. Sounds weird to say, but the joy of kind of being home sick and away from all oh, that shit. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, sick days were awesome. Yeah, even though you were sick, like you treasured them. Mm-hmm. You got to I stay think, home alone. Yeah, well, I think that's why a lot of people still love this movie because, like, especially at a young age, they're like, "Shit, I want that." Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I wish my <laughs> days off were this fun. <laughs> yep, hundred uh, percent. Look, everybody knows the funny moments because everybody has seen this movie many times. So, like, you know, when Cameron is talking to Rooney over the phone at the beginning, hey, Rooney, I'm coming down there. I'm kicking your um, ass. Well, I think you should be sorry for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, a family member dies, <laughs> and you insult me. What the hell is the matter with you anyway? <laughs> everybody knows that. Everybody knows the moment where they're outside the restaurant. There's so much great visual comedy in this, where oh they see his God. father outside the restaurant, <laughs> and Cameron <laughs> is turned around. <laughs> back to the camera uh the cab ride um the parade twist and shout on the float it's great all incredible scenes and uh you know when the car drives through the the uh the glass garage but for me it's you know the more i watch it the older i get the more the dramatic stuff speaks to me yeah the more that moment of when they're at the top of sears tower and they put their face on the glass and they look down and everybody looks like ants 
you know, or when Cameron is just sitting in the pool about to drown, like mm. all that stuff I find speaking to me a lot more on a, on a gut level in a weird way. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just think that's why this movie is to be honest with you, a fucking masterpiece. I, I don't use that word lightly. This movie is an absolute goddamn masterpiece because yeah, it is both a hilarious relic of the eighties, but also a transcendent dramatic story about growing up. I would agree. It's fun. It's weird to say, but yeah, could be a masterpiece. It's maybe my favorite John Hughes film. Yeah. I, I don't think it's close actually. Well, it's either that or planes, trains and automobiles, I suppose. Yeah. Those are the but, only two. Yeah. I think it's this though. For me personally, it's, it, yeah, it's this. But both of those movies just punch you in the gut with yeah, with certainly. the endings and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Planes, it's, Trains is it, it's a tearjerker. Yeah, I know. Uh, but again, it's it's great that it sneaks up on you like that. And mm-hmm. but and, and usually when movies do that, it doesn't work and they kind of fall on their face. But somehow John Hughes knows how to maneuver that drama to make it like fit in nicely to this otherwise hysterical movie. You know what else doesn't usually work? Voiceover and breaking the fourth wall. Well. Fourth wall breaking is impossible to do. And um, this movie does it. And I think one of the reasons why is because Broderick is not the main character. That's very true. You know, he is, I, I'm using the term guardian angel again, but he is the angel mm-hmm. from It's a Wonderful Life, who yeah, at the beginning yeah. talks about, uh, was it John Daly? Not John Daly. Uh, 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 John Bailey. Bailey? Is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, God. Steve Bailey? John Bailey? John Bailey. What the fuck? What? Oh, it's no. a wonderful life. Is that his name? Bailey, no? Or is it's it Bailey, Mr. Bailey? It, it, I know it's Bailey. George Bailey. It, George, damn it. George Bailey. <laughs> Tip of my tongue. I fucking hate it when that happens. Because I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, uh, it's the beginning of that movie where yeah. the angel is speaking about Bailey's life. And Ferris is speaking about Cameron's life. So it's yeah. not like he's necessarily walking you through his internal monologue and he's not beating you over the head with the character stuff. Like if Cameron were the narrator of this movie, it would be totally different. It would feel cheap and it would feel like it's hitting you over the head with a hammer. Well, the movie is is also very smart in, in that decision because it, it he's he's Ferris has shown you these things because I mean, more so than Ferris, John Hughes knows that people relate more to uh, Cameron than I think Ferris. Because everybody wants to be Ferris, right? Yes. Everyone wants to be around Ferris. Everybody wants to raise money for him when he's sick. Everybody wants to date him. All that stuff. And Mm -hmm. Cameron is all of us just looking up to him. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, Nick Evangelista, good pick for favorite movie of all time. It's not bad. I think the only movie to do fourth wall breaking better was Exposition for a Murder. But who directed that? I don't really know. Okay. Yeah. Um, We have to do that on why is this a thing? Another one of these days. (laughs) That's one of our lost episodes. I still, I think about it sometimes and I'm like, you know, I, I was, (laughs) I, I, I needed to hear that. that (laughs) Exposition for a murder is Adam Hall's short film. (laughs) Just to let y'all know. Unfortunately, aliens. Oh, by the way, stream oh. Ferris Bueller on Netflix. If for some reason you haven't seen it. <laughs> okay, dude, if you're sick with it, the coronavirus and you think you might die, like just flip on Ferris Bueller on Netflix. Ooh, you know what? Oh, that's the movie we all need. We need Donald Trump needs to get on that television and say, people, 
watch Ferris Bueller. We interrupt this press conference to show a nationwide airing of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I need to tell you about my favorite movie. (laughs) Uh, Aliens. Aliens. Written and directed by Jim Cameron. Starring Sigourney Weaver, Carrie Henn, Michael Bain, Paul Reiser, and Bill Paxton. Game over, man. Game Game over. I love the inflection of that line. Yeah. Oh, I've got that over. I love when his voice breaks. I've got that down to a T, man. You have no idea. (laughs) Winner of Best Sound Effects and Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards, also nominated for Best Actress. Wow, she got a Best Actress nomination? You know, I was surprised when I heard that, but then I watched the movie again. I'm like, fuck, she's good in this movie. She's really good in this movie. That's crazy. No, roles like this don't get... Oscar what, nominations. That, that's the th- it's because of the type of movie that it is that it's surprising that you got the nomination. But yeah, yeah, Aliens. Who would have thought? Yeah. Art direction, sound, film editing, and original score were all amongst the nominees. Number eight is Ellen Ripley on AFI's all-time hero list. Ellen Ripley is rescued by a deep salvage team after being in hypersleep for 57 years. The moon that the Nostromo visited has been colonized. But contact is lost. This time, colonial marines have impressive firepower. But will that be enough? Um, go ahead, talk uh, talk on this movie because I assume it's your favorite on the list. Is that correct? I mean, I'm I'm inc- I, let me make it very very clear. I am incredibly biased. Yeah, it's, like my my. It's not even. You, you don't want to hear a, an educated opinion about this movie through me whatsoever. Hmm. So t- take everything I say with a grain of salt. But this is the best movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, best movie ever made. Uh, my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I mean, what, I mean, it's fucking aliens, man. It's fucking aliens. It's the best. It's the, it's, this movie's awesome. Uh, there's, there's, there, it's another one of those films that, uh, I can wrap myself up in a blanket and just watch it endlessly. It's Ugh, great. It's, yuck. Oh, my God. It's one really? of the best. Yeah, man. It's a wet oh, blanket. Yeah, not a wet. It's did a gooey. I say wet? Sl- no, it's a slimy ass blanket. I'm saying <laughs> if it's an aliens blanket. Yo, I get into this fucking movie. I love it so much. I love the characters. I love their chemistry. I love the way they interact with one another. Ellen um, Sigourney Weaver is fantastic. Jim Cameron's direction is aggressive and frenetic Certainly. and it's cut together seamlessly and they're very very smart even still about the way they reveal the monsters even though there's many more of them this time the i, I feel like i've already said it many times but the action is remarkable um that's a good point though about revealing the monsters because yeah. we have done alien versus predator on the other mm-hmm. podcast yeah. and one of the things that movie fails at is is making the arrival of those monsters impactful yes you know the, they just show up and they are just action figures in the play chest mm-hmm. um this movie you're 100 percent right even though you know what the aliens look like already and although there are several more of them in this movie their mm-hmm. arrival still feels significant it's horrifying though it's the thing is that when they finally do arrive it is tense and you know something really really dreadful is about to go down and it sells it completely I mean, it goes for it. I mean, everybody dies, essentially. Oh, yeah. Like, it really sets the stakes for the movie, and it, like, instantly. And again, like, the best movies hone in this point where it's like nobody is safe. Nobody in this movie is ever safe. And that is carried all the way through until the end. Honestly, 
when I first saw it, I wasn't even sure if Ripley was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And then in Alien 3, well, I guess we'll talk about that one day? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know how oh. we're going to find the time, but maybe. I like Alien 3. I mean, but, if we're uh, here for another three months, man, like there might be an <laughs> Alien 3 podcast coming. We could do an Alien podcast. I can make we can make you watch Alien 3. Only the assembly cut. Do not watch the theatrical. Dude, release. we're going to have plenty of time. Okay. Alien pod <laughs> coming. Yay. <laughs> anyway, um, I I love this movie's atmosphere. I love its sense of place. The setting is something like I have sort of like, you know what Jabril was saying about Eraserhead, how it's this grimy, horrible world, but I just want to go there all the time. That's exactly the way I feel about Aliens. Wow. I love it. I just love being in this movie, in this weird, dilapidated sci-fi universe. And I love being there with these people and going on this horrifying but crazy and awesome journey with them. And I mean, just as a, as a cinematic experience, I mean, this movie just never, ever lets up. I mean, everything about its structure is perfect. And the, the, the climax is fantastic. Oh, yeah. the, the final, essentially the final boss at the end with uh, the alien queen. The queen. Is, oh, I love it. And what a great reveal, man. I mean, this movie has some of my favorite reveals in all of movie. It's just, there are very, very few things about this that work, that don't work, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of the perfect action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a horror movie, although it has horror elements. Yeah, yeah. Um and is I think the most effective horror thriller of all time. Yeah, just unrelenting in its action <laughs> and that is its greatest gift because Jim Cameron is uh you know one of the two or three best action directors of all time. I love that we're on a first name basis with uh Jim Cameron now. We're calling him Jim. <laughs> Jimmy we're on a nickname basis. <laughs> oh, Jimmy C, baby. <laughs> How you doing, man? How's Jimbo! your left- How's Avatar 4 coming along? <laughs> Not done yet? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Jimbalaya! <laughs> How's How- underwater Pandora shaping up? How are those flying piranhas treating you? <laughs> you still getting your hair? <laughs> He's just in the bunker with a typewriter. Just <laughs> frantic. Uh jimmy yeah poor, poor jimmy cameron <laughs> jimmy's been looking at you guys <laughs> jimmy likes elaine jimmy would like to get to know you <laughs> oh man uh yeah I, I i don't think it is um in the same league as the original alien though well um, the- this is a it's it's well it's great you bring this up. This is a constant debate, not just with um uh like like general audiences, but also just the fans of the alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And you will see it's it's almost a literally a fifty fifty split at this point. It's very interesting. I see many people argue on behalf of Alien and just as many do the same for Alien. And I don't know if that debate is ever gonna end, but because I mean it, it makes sense because these movies are so fucking good. Yeah. So it, it's understandable. It's, again, spoil of riches. What are you going to do? Sure. But my experience with the movie was interesting because, again, I, I was very young when I saw the Alien films. Uh, I saw Alien and Aliens almost back to back, I think, like, within a week of each other. So, like, we went to Blockbuster. We returned to Alien. And then, oh, the Aliens is right next to it. I'm going to grab that. And Time out I'm, for a second. Say what? Time out. Um Aliens is a shitty title for a sequel. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. 
What are you talking about? In the first movie, there's one alien, and in the second movie, there's more than one alien. So let's just call it Aliens. I think it's one of my favorite sequel titles. Oh, stop it. What are you talking about? You pluralized the original movie, and you think that's a unique title? Stop I it. it. I think it's a great idea. It's certainly a... I mean, I saw... I, honestly, dude. Honestly, everybody who saw the trailer for this was like, holy shit. I mean, it's effective. There's more than one this time. You can call it gimmicky, but it's an awesome gimmick. Give it a subtitle, dude. No. Grow a spine and give it a subtitle. Subtitles are boring. No, I, I, I don't like this. I don't like this title. I'm, I'm, you know what? This is the hill I'm dying on here. You're so wrong. Here's a hot take for you, You're man. You're so wrong. <laughs> Aliens, shitty title. <laughs> Be more creative, Jimbo. Be more creative. I think it's very clever. I think it's super clever. It's great. Don't come at me with that. Aliens is a bad title hot take. Go fuck yourself. How about that? Oh, there's more than one alien this time. What are we going to call it? You're always assuming the motivations of these people. Well, what else could the motivation be? (laughs) The first movie was about one alien. Yeah. You might as well have called it one alien and 20 aliens. (laughs) Those might as well be the the titles of these two movies. I think it works great. It's because of that simplicity. It actually makes the movie feel more foreboding. Oh, stop it. No, it does. Please knock it off. It does. It honestly does. <laughs> and it works well within this franchise, at least with the first three movies that keep that thematic through line. And then which they completely Why? Because Alien 3 puts it in an exponent? Is that why? That's true. Yeah. Alien cubed, as we like to call it. The oh, alien God. fans call it alien cubed. <laughs> as they should, by the way. <laughs> as they should. Good movie. Um, well, one version of it is good. Anyway, you were saying... What the fuck was I saying? <laughs> you rented this at Blockbuster. Okay, yeah, and I was I went to Blockbuster and Aliens is right next to it. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna see Aliens now. This is gonna be great. And I think at a young age, I immediately liked Aliens more. And I saw it. My, my God, I, saw, I I rewatched the, the those films like countless times as well. But um, it wasn't until I I want to say like freshman year of high school that I like marathon the movies and I realized, Oh yeah. Alien is the better film like through and through There was something about it that just aged better. Not to say that aliens doesn't age poorly. There's just tiniest nitpicks I saw and I'm like, okay, yeah. Uh, there's not a, the film is not like, like utter cinematic perfection in every way that like the first movie is like, I can't criticize anything about the first movie whereas like aliens i'm like eh, that line delivery right there was weird mm-hmm. and that's essentially like where my criticisms like start and end right i mean bill you know, paxton is super fun and i would not change his performance for the world but it does feel like it is out of another movie and and that's yeah. you know again not a criticism but bill paxton that character would not be in the original alien yes uh i i also think that um the 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 in terms of like being what it is, Alien is just a more effective movie, and yeah, it's more contained, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, and you could argue which is more thematically rich, honestly. But again, and because Alien is so like laser focused on what it's about, it, it, it just works a, a lot better. And I mean, I as an as an entire experience, I just find it a little more enriching. And 
it not again. It's ugh, I hate doing this because like it's not that I don't get that out of Aliens. It's just if I'm comparing these two, it's like one's just a little bit better. They're also radically different movies. That's a, yes, yes. I mean, the first one is a slasher horror movie with a final girl in the traditional sense. And yeah. although this movie has similar plot elements and it has the same character in both, mm-hmm. this is way more like a '80s action movie. Yeah. You know, with and it's kind of like an old school space western, and a bunch of people yeah. try to kill the bad guys, and only a couple of them survive and live to tell the tale. Yep. So yeah, I mean, they're just totally different. This one feels like the best version of an '80s action movie, and the mm-hmm. original feels like the best version of, say, a Halloween movie. Yes, I agree. And like that's cool. I I think the original is uh, again more streamlined and more effective, and it is um. You know, just is a is a more concise distillation of what Ridley Scott is going for. But yeah, I mean, this movie is also fucking awesome. I think on a thematic level, they both have a ton to say. The first is like a rape metaphor, obviously. Um, the lack of consent that these characters have. They're being impregnated and by this alien creature um, and have lost control and sovereignty over their bodies. And this movie mm-hmm. is about reclaiming that sovereignty, right? And it's about uh, Ripley a feminist character, a feminist icon in many ways, dealing with the trauma of the previous movie, having flashbacks to that trauma and learning to overcome and to get revenge. And so, yeah, I think both are pretty effective um, ruminations on feminism. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say about Alien? S- with an S. Alien. S- that's a good movie. You know what would have been awesome? Let me <laughs> tell you. They should have taken a page out of the Fast and Furious book. Yeah. And like flipped the S in aliens to make it look like a two. <laughs> oh my God. One of, I, I, I don't know if I can explain this well. Uh, oh no. Uh, it, it's visual. I'm trying to explain it. Um, One of my favorite like memes to like the way this movie was created was that like the title was created was that they were going through names for movies. Right. And so Ridley Scott is like alien reborn, alien like redo or whatever, you know, alien, uh, the second one, (laughs) so on and so (laughs) forth. All these crazy alien alien electric boogaloo (laughs) alien. Let's do the time warp again. (laughs) (laughs) Deep pull, deep pull. (laughs) Anyway, so he gets down to just being like, okay, fuck it, alien, and then just puts two dashes at the end of it for alien two. And he's like, that's the title. And then he stops, and his eyes go wide, and he's like, holy shit. He doesn't erase the two, he just draws an S through those two. That is so corny. I love it. That is so fucking corny. (laughs) I love it. It just cracks me up when I saw it. I was like, because that's exactly what he was thinking. I'm going to make so much fucking money on this. I know, and this is why the title sucks. (laughs) that's why the title sucks because a guy with that drew two lines on a piece of paper and then drew an s through it thought it up like exactly this is why the title is so trash because he was so goddamn proud of himself when he did it and you just know you could see the look on his face it's great i love it i won't hear you on this one yeah it's the same look that old jimmy got when he thought up the four sequels to avatar you know what i mean it's that same smug look on his face Avatars. What if we took the aliens and put them underwater? (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so it's Pocahontas, but they're all blue. (laughs) Soul! You're high. (laughs) 
Don't let your hatred for Avatar ruin the title for Aliens. (laughs) Stream Aliens on HBO if you are so inclined. It's absolutely fantastic, and I have more to say about it when we're getting down to our decision. Okay. Platoon. Written and directed by Oliver Stone, starring Charlie Sheen. Two Charlie Sheen movies this year. Uh, Yeah, and that was fun. I think... Hmm. Was Ferris Bueller his first actual performance? I think it was. I think it was. Yes, I do. Oh, excuse me. I think the first time... I I saw an interview with him, and it starts with, yeah, the first words I ever said was drugs. (laughs) It's like, oh. Exactly. Explains a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe, Keith David. Oh, great in Owen, Ohio. Is he in Owen, Ohio? Remember he plays Oh, the shit. That's right. He was. Yeah. We just watched There's Something About Mary last night. Oh, yeah. And oh, my God. He's so fucking funny in that. Forrest Whitaker, Kevin Dillon, John C. McGinley, and a young Johnny Depp. That's right. Yeah. His learner. Winner of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing at the Academy Awards. Also nominated for Best Supporting Actor twice over. Mm-hmm. Berenger and Willem Dafoe both with nominations there best original screenplay and best cinematography number 72 on AFI's all-time thriller list and the number 82 movie of all time according okay. to the American Film Institute okay a young soldier in Vietnam faces a moral crisis when confronted with the horrors of war and the duality of man I hate that phrase what a fucking cliche the, du- the duality of man what does that even mean I mean, it implies that there's only, like, two things a man can be. Good or evil? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Reminds me of one of the great shows in the history of Netflix, Bloodline, <laughs> where the narrator, played by Kyle Chandler, literally says in voiceover, We're not bad people, but we did a bad thing. <laughs> and if that ain't 2010's television, I don't know what is. Hey, I don't mind Bloodline. <laughs> Do you like Bloodline? Yeah, I saw a little bit. It was pretty good. Mendelssohn's good in it. Yeah. Oh, really good in that. Yeah. Great in it, yeah. yeah. By the way, great in The Outsider. Again, I have not seen The Outsider, Nico. I think you'll love it. <laughs> what is it? I think you need to do it. It's a Stephen King adaptation. Is, it's a, is it a film or a TV show? It's a TV show, HBO, 10 parts. Okay. I know you don't watch TV, but... No, I don't, be- I, I don't believe in TV. It doesn't exist. I think you'll love it, actually. No. All right. I honestly right. think you'll love it. Yeah. It's weird, but it's like, it's it's dark and gritty, and it's got a crime element. It's no. one of the, gr- like, only successful crime science fiction shows That's I've ever weird. seen. It is both That's a procedural cop drama, but also a really far out there Stephen King supernatural thing. Yeah, that's strange. But hey, maybe I'll love it. Yeah, you never know. I think I do you like- will, actually. I love I do love my weird Stephen King. You don't love your weird Stephen King. So. Yeah, but the one thing that I love about this show is that they sort of ignore the most Stephen King elements. <laughs> or they let me put it this way, they let the Stephen King elements breathe. Okay. Sometimes in like a Stephen King movie, you don't have time to react to the giant moth trying to kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like the the characters have to accept it right away. Uh I see. Yeah. it's one of the things that actually Green Mile does really well. Because Green yeah, Mile, okay. it's so long, the superpowers don't feel that out of place to you because the movie gives you time to digest it. Mm-hmm. That's what The Outsider does. It's like one of the characters suggests that it's like a murderous uh, fear demon that is murdering these people. And, and like, the characters 
take two episodes to come to that conclusion for themselves. You know what I'm saying? Sounds like the X-Files or something. It, yeah, but he, again, though, the X-Files, like, no one doubted that supernatural shit was happening on the X-Files. Yeah, that's true. Mulder and Scully understood that. It was their job. Mm-hmm. Here, it's like, if there was, like, a boogeyman murdering children in a small town, this is how the local cops would actually react. Okay, cool. That, that sounds great, actually. Yeah, it's, and it's also excellently directed. Jason Bateman is in it, and he's also one of the main directors. He has developed into a really awesome TV director. Cool. Um, but he sort of developed the visual style of the show, and it is really, really good. Cool. All right. Well, you've essentially sold me. I'm how very did, interested in How that. did we get here? Uh, I don't know. Bloodline. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Duality cool. of Man. We're, we're supposed to be talking about Platoon. <laughs> we are. Um, I think... A gun to my head, this is the best movie of the year, but I don't know. Do you feel differently? Y- yeah. Okay. I don't think it's better. I don't think it's better than Aliens. I okay. don't even think it's, I don't even think it's better than, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> okay. Uh, but no, I, I, I love this movie. Of course I love this movie. It's, I don't necessarily even look at it as like, like, I mean, it's like a wonderful Vietnam movie, but it's just an interesting character study as well in, in, in what happens when you're, you're, you're forced with a decision or rather forced to take sides in a matter where you're not supposed to be taking any sides, but also in a landscape that's completely hellish and you kind of question whether or not it matters. Mm. And I think that's an interesting dichotomy. And But the, the, the movie, <laughs> so, I, I guess if I'm to criticize anything about, well... Oh boy, I don't want to criticize Platoon. <laughs> well, go ahead. It's a podcast. It's a safe space. Um, I, as cr- as crazy as it sounds, um, I I kind of wish um 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 what's his what's his uh, Barnes was not so much of a villain per se. I mean, obviously that you need like a villainous character, but he's like a like a villain in the yes. movie. He and does there's seemingly unmotivated evil things. Yeah, and that's the problem. And I can't help but think like there must be Vietnam vets who have been in the situations that they were in, like when they're in the village and saw it in a completely different light. And right. even if what they were doing was wrong, it wasn't this black and white. Yeah. I guess that's my only like gripe with it, I suppose. Otherwise, like it's it's a Jesus Christ deeply affecting and and it, like horrible film in, 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 in the purest sense, not in the sense that it's a bad movie, just like what these characters are put through is co- completely realized and understood. And it paints a, a very fine and very specific picture of Vietnam that is not universal. As a lot of people seem to think this, there's a lot of people who have come forth and said, nah, it's not quite what Vietnam was like. And then other people are like, this is exactly what it's like. So sure. It depends. Uh, well, I mean, that's why the Vietnam war has been, a topic of so many movies and mm-hmm. there have been drastically different interpretations in each of those yeah. movies. Uh, here's why I give the movie a pass. Oliver Stone was actually a Vietnam veteran. Yep. And this is an important thing to note. This is the first movie about the Vietnam war directed by a guy who served in the Vietnam war. Mm-hmm. And yep. many of the stories in this movie were true accounts or at least versions of true accounts. Yep. I think it's actually based on his autobiography, right? It's based on his diaries, actually. Okay. So I don't know if the Tom Berenger character existed 
in real life. I don't know if he was this evil. I'm sure it was amalgamation of several characters and they were exaggerated for effect. Um, but I do trust that Oliver Stone got the broad strokes right, even if the mm-hmm. specifics weren't right. And yes. this is at least a version of something that he actually experienced. And the emotions underneath these events are based in reality. You know well, what I mean? That's- that's the thing more than anything. Like, even if you don't necessarily buy every single little thing that happens, it's very obvious that the spirit of the film is completely genuine. Right. And it's, it's almost palpable at times. Like there's, there's this movie is just, I I don't know how to describe it. It's just this horrible slog, (laughs) the the being stuck in that jungle and whatnot. And you really do feel it. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, it's very, very obvious. Like you have no friends, it's a very like lonely feeling movie, especially when Willem Dafoe's character dies. Spoiler alert. It's, yeah. If you it's haven't seen the, Platoon. It's on the fucking cover. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's right there. <laughs> He's fucking dead. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I like that approach a lot in the sense that, yeah, like when I first saw it, I was kind of amazed by the lack of heroes in it. Yeah. Because even by the end of it, Charlie Sheen is just not the same. I mean... I mean, everyone goes, every character's characters in movies are always going through arcs. We know this, but like, I mean, he is just like I, one detail. I, I miss it. I feel like a lot of people miss this is that after he's killed Tom Berenger's character, uh, they, there's this wide shot of all the reinforcements coming in to save him. And he's got a grenade in his hand. Oh, he's wow. about to pull the pin. Oh, wow. Every, I think everybody misses that detail. Oh, I've it's, never noticed that. I've seen this movie so many times. I've never noticed that. Yeah. And he like pathetically drops it and like puts his hands up and I'm like, oh my God, that's an awesome detail. Oh, wow. Yeah. Watch it again. I have to. I'm gonna have to do that later. Yep. Yeah. I never noticed that. Um, yep. No, you're right. The movie is so fully realized. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing about it. It's so vivid in its portrayal and it yes. can really only be made by someone who was actually there. Oh, There's yeah. such chaos to the direction. There's yeah. such uncertainty and chaos and there, there may be an enemy around the corner at any given moment. You never know when you're about to be ambushed. The movie doesn't give you like a heads up when someone's about to die. It doesn't do mm-hmm. all of those things that a movie is supposed to do like uh, ratchet up the music and yep. point the camera in a specific way and give you a convenient cut to hold your hand through the action it's sometimes hard to make sense of what's happening on screen but it's a good thing it's not like a michael bay discombobulation it's Mm -hmm. like a deliberate discombobulation the last scene of this movie the last 15 minutes is just a nightmare yeah from an action perspective it's really really effective in that way though it's the best it's one of the best examples of messy filmmaking yeah because the movie, like, even, even by the end of it, structurally, it's just random. Yeah. It's just so fucking random. And, and there's no... Here's the other thing. There's no sense of geography. No, you're right. Like, at all. And again, I usually despise that in movies. But in here, I couldn't think of it being done any other way. Mm-hmm. Like, you have no clear sense of where the, the stronghold is versus where the front lines are because they get completely blurred. And then there is no semblance of, like, the 180-degree rule. Mm-hmm. There's no something. The, the jungle looks the same no matter where these characters are. And then, like you said, the characters just start dropping randomly. It's like, boom, all of a sudden a guy's getting skewered by a bayonet. It's like, oh, shit, okay. Right. And then you just lose the characters. They just kind of go off and you're not, you're like them. You're kind of like, okay, where the, where the fuck am I now? Sure. And then it ends abruptly and you're like, 
holy shit it's just it's it's just this you're like holy shit i'm out of here really yeah i'm going exactly home? Yeah. it's like oh that was it it's 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 great it's like this this horrifying adrenaline rush that just works i love it i mean that's war right in yeah. the heat of battle you lose sight of where you are and you're mm-hmm. often sleeping in different locations every night yeah. um it just all looks like bush to you you know what yeah. i mean it's just all woods it's all jungle there's yeah. no semblance of anything um and that works and i think it is uh, not to be understated how groundbreaking this movie was uh, yeah. and how every war movie since has tried to emulate what we saw in platoon i i forget where i read this but i read a, an awesome movie review at one point that said that there are two kinds of war movies and you look at uh, apocalypse now and you look at platoon and that's the dichotomy right there apocalypse yeah. now is metaphorical it's poetic it's operatic in its story a lot of it is is metaphor it's not about the grittiness of battle it's about the sort of inner turmoil that you, it's about the feeling of war not about the actual events of war well that's the thing like apocalypse now like i i almost don't even consider it a war movie yes that's the that's the distinction i mean Platoon's it, a war it movie. is a war movie but it, it you're right it is not um journalistic in its portrayal of the war oh it doesn't care that's that's completely removed from the point of apocalypse now. right then you have platoon platoon is incredibly journalistic yeah. it is incredibly accurate it is from the the point of view of someone that actually lived it mm-hmm. and it is way more interested in the toll in the carnage and in oh, the yeah. accuracy of its portrayal mm-hmm. so and both are about the vietnam war both feature voiceover at a glance they feel like very similar movies but structurally they're totally different apocalypse now is poetry platoon is journalism every war movie since is mimicking one of those two movies saving private ryan is more in the platoon camp uh something like full metal jacket i think is more in the apocalypse Mm -hmm. now camp but it's actually got a little bit of platoon as well i'm not actually i take that back yeah i would actually say that one's more platoon honestly jesus I, i don't know what kind of war movies recently have actually gone into the metaphorical route yeah, because I guess you had like Black Hawk Down. That's more platoon. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the Sicario franchise is kind of apocalypse now. Yeah, sh- sure. You yeah, know? that's not that's not bad. By the way, Day of the Soldado. Oh, you watched it? It's amazing. Holy shit! <laughs> it's Whoa! fucking awesome. <laughs> Whoa, why didn't you tell me? It's really good. <laughs> why didn't you tell me you watched this? I don't know. I wanted to surprise you. Holy fuck, well, consider me surprised. I needed yeah, really that good. today. Wow. It's really, it's really good. Why it's does really, everybody really have good. a stick up their ass about that movie? I don't know. It's great. I think Isn't it's a it great awesome? movie. It's awesome. Because I've been telling you this for months and you were skeptical because you read all the reviews and the critics hated it. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's really good. It's I really, told really you, good. dude. And I, I told you. I don't know if I was skeptical. I just like, I'll get around to it because I, th- I think a lot of it was just like the nature of the previews for the movie. It was, it was also just like, like, I, yeah, I, I, it didn't look as good and, but the reviews were fine and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get around to it. It took me forever. And then finally I, it's on HBO. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. And it's great. Legitimately great film with like, like one of the most, bombastic insane third acts oh i've ever God, seen dude. holy shit <laughs> that third act gives no fucks what in the fuck happened 
Benicio Del Toro is just walking around without a cheek. <laughs> Throws the grenade casually. It's like, here you go. <laughs> I, guys, I'm not kidding you. Benicio Del Toro gets shot in the face, face. in the third act of this movie and lives. <laughs> Get shot in the fucking face. It's awesome. Apparently, it is... didn't lose any teeth. Nah, he... Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. He should have lost some teeth. Dude, Just a few. amazing, dude. I, yeah, I really like it. I don't like it as much as the original, obviously, but it is intense and it is stylish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the script is really good. And yep. Brolin is amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Keener's really good in it. Yeah, that's right. I love yeah, this everything. stuff with the kid. It's really sweet and touching. Surprisingly, and it needed that too. That's the like. I, I'm not even sure if I would have loved the film as much if it hadn't been for the Benicio and the kid and that. Mm-hmm. It's really good stuff. Yeah. Just when Brolin's like fuck them all. Yeah. Just going <laughs> into oh my protection. god. It's so crazy. Good, it just like it's like is that really the state of things? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, it is a grossly, uh, uh, a grossly anti-war movie. Oh yeah, an like, anti-war it, it, on drugs movie. Oh god, yeah. I mean, the the first one's much more grounded. Like, like, yeah. the f- I think the first one's like one of the best accounts of like the 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 militant drug drug lore. Jesus, the militant drug war that's been going on. But this one feels like a, it's a little more movie-fied. But yeah, like like just so good, so good. <laughs> dude, how about the supermarket at the beginning? Mm. Oh my, oh my god. god, dude, like. It's just chilling though. Like it's it just oh my god, it works. Everything about it works. Where it just unloads on the guy in the street though. Oh my god, it's great. I'm so happy you agree with me on this because I didn't. Know no one people... was on the same page. People don't like it. Yeah, people don't like it. Hmm. In general, people don't like it, and I'm really confused. I think it's because they didn't think the movie needed a sequel. The first one? Maybe. Maybe that's it. And I also right. saw that there was a big criticism, no Emily Blunt character. Like the Emily Blunt point of view character grounded the movie morally. And this movie is just about two very bad people that yep. use the border as their toy chest. Yep. You know? But yeah. You don't okay. need the Emily you. Blunt character. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I actually think like all- it, it makes the movie more morally ambiguous and I'm way more interested in the ethics of these two guys, as opposed to Emily Blunt, who's just unapologetically good. Well, she's also just one. It's it's because the story of the, this drug war is very very big, and she's just one particular short story in that, in my opinion. Right. And you can do a lot with that, and the movie certainly does. And I, I honestly, I'd be interested to see like what else they could do with it. So yeah, I want they more. Did, I really if they want did a more. third movie. Yeah, it'd be great. Sign me up, dude. Anyway, platoon. Uh, <laughs> we keep so, yeah. doing this. So it's uh, it's it's poetry versus journalism, and this is the journalistic war movie, and I think it forever changed war movies that came since. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I think again, gun to my head, this is probably technically the best movie on the list. It's the most important movie, and when I see that it wins best picture, it's one of those decisions yeah. where you just nod your head and go, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the few years they actually got it right. I would I would say it ties most important movie. Okay. Yeah. Which is crazy coming from me because of the other movie that I'm referring to, but ties. What's the other That's movie you're referring to? It is Aliens. We need to talk about like the impact of Aliens. Okay. But we'll we'll, we'll do there. that in a second. Until then, let's do Blue Velvet. Okay.
written oh by the way uh, stream platoon on amazon prime mm-hmm. not a fun watch i should say that i mean i've it's, rewatched it a lot but it's it's not for the weak of heart no it, it's it's easier to watch than the deer hunter uh, yeah certainly <laughs> don't even get me started on the deer hunter yeah but yeah it's 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 great but in, but you're right not not the most pleasant experience yeah, I mean, uh, there there are suggestions of rape in this. There are. Um, is there actually any rape in the movie? I don't think there is. Yes, there is. When? When? Uh, well, that that scene where uh, Charlie Sheen goes over to the girl, you know, and the, there's the, those guys surrounding her, and he's he's like screaming at them. Do they actually he's rape cr- her in that scene, or they're just about yeah. to? No, they they were raping her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So there's rape in this movie. There's a uh, innocent murder in this movie. Yeah. Not good things. No. But yeah, starkly anti-war and really important. Okay. Blue Velvet, written and directed by the big homie David Lynch, Mm -hmm. starring the other big homie Kyle MacLachlan, Isabella Rossellini, Laura Dern, and Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth. Pops Blue Ribbon! (laughs) His name is Frank Booth? Frank Booth, baby! Oh, okay. Frank Booth. Good name. <laughs> Nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards. What? Yeah, its only nomination was Lynch. What? Yeah, dude. That's very weird. <laughs> but also very correct. Yeah. The American Film Institute named it the number 96 thriller of all time. They named Frank Booth the number 36 villain of all time. And they okay. also named the movie the number eight mystery of all time. Okay. The discovery of a severed human ear found in a field leads a young man on an investigation related to a beautiful, mysterious nightclub singer and a group of psychopathic criminals who have kidnapped her child. Um, I love this movie. You love this movie. Jabril loves this movie. You know who doesn't love this movie? Roger Ebert. Roger fucking Ebert. One yep. star review. Hates it. Very confused by this. I know, me too. Very confused. I read the review. I tried to get some insight. And I think the gist of his criticism was a lot of horrific stuff happens to Isabella Rossellini in this movie. There's a lot of deeply perverse, violent material. Yeah. And it should not, that type of material should not be surrounded by campy high school noir stuff. And I think he feels like the movie does a disservice to all of the hyper violent content. Mm, but it's kind of isn't it sort of satirizing that time period yeah that's what i feel i think he's missing the point i think you're right i think he's missing the point i I, this is i think something that lynch has always done and we know this because we've seen 30 years of lynch movies and i guess maybe in 1986 you wouldn't have known this about david lynch but he is constantly playing around with genre oh yeah and he's constantly playing around with like tropey high school stuff and yeah. tropey noir stuff. Um, in this movie, he not only pays homage to Hitchcock, but he deconstructs a lot of the Hitchcock um, cliches, like the femme fatale, or the guy oh, yeah. hiding in the closet, um, the sort of voyeurism of Hitchcock movies. Something like Rear Window is directly an inspiration of, of Blue oh, yeah. Velvet. But it's also, you're right, like a, a deconstruction of high school dramas and, and lovers on the run. And uh, the Laura Dern-Kyle McLaughlin relationship is like a perverse version of a relationship from a john hughes movie 
Yeah, it's like the well, it's the worst version of that stuff. I mean, because it's it's so like in a lot of ways, like visually, it looks like these those kinds of movies. But then to have like the scenes like because you get the guy in the closet and traditionally movies don't go all in (laughs) the way that this movie does. This movie basically says if we take those situations and we play them up to their extreme, how does it actually feel? And it's it's ugly and it's gross and it's super uncomfortable. And it, at times it, it, it feels like it doesn't even make sense. And that's very much the point. Sure. It's, it works in just enough surreal imagery to work. It doesn't go all in. It's not the most like absurdist Lynch film ever made, but at the same time, it's very much an art artist's piece and the Lynchian, uh, uh, details are, are not really lost here. Certainly in the way the actors are cued, uh, the way the mystery unfolds. And again, just all those little details that just make Lynch so wonderful. Like it, like when someone's dead, the, the guy just stands in place in the middle of the room. Yeah. Makes no sense, yeah. but it works entirely for some reason. I don't know why it works, but it works. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that is Lynch. Um, Twin Peaks is, uh, you know, a lesser version of Blue Velvet. Some of the ideas he's playing around with in Twin Peaks directly mirror some of the ideas in Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, he's sort of ahead of his time in that regard. The thing about Lynch is that he makes deeply artistic, absurd tone poems, but yep. they are all under the guise of like uh, of cheap genre stuff. He's not afraid to play around in genre. He's not no. afraid to make something mainstream. He's not afraid to literally make a soap opera on ABC in his own way. Um, and I think Ebert didn't respond too kindly to that. I, and look, I love Roger Ebert, and I think he's one of the most important voices that cinema has ever seen. But I think he was a little behind the uh, the eight ball on this one. I think David Lynch was just one step ahead. Oh, yeah. No, well, it's in that... It's understandable because, again, even at its time, like this movie must have been a like a gut punch to people in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, you've never seen anything like this before and you've never seen the genres you hold near and dear be challenged in the way that they are here. And that's the thing that's probably setting him back. Like, I get it, but it's surprising to me because I think he actually did like a a reevaluation later and he still had the same stance. Hmm. It's like he had he had an experience where it's like because he, he goes back on movies a lot. Yes. Where it's like he, he did that with Blade Runner where he's like, oh, shit, the movie's actually brilliant. And he put it into like his great movie selection. Yeah. But he tried to do the same thing here and it didn't work. He's like, nope, I still hate it. And I'm like, really? I do love that he does that, though. He's yeah, one of no, the few critics that's like, yeah, I got that one wrong. Yeah. I love that, though. But yeah, I, I it doesn't make sense to me that he's he, he hated it and never, you know, never stopped hating it. That's so, so strange. He had a hard time with Lynch. I think the he? first Lynch movie he liked was Mulholland Drive. That's my least favorite Lynch film. Yeah, that's really weird to me, too. But he wrote several <laughs> negative reviews. I think didn't like Racerhead that much. Didn't like this one. Didn't like Young at Heart. Or sorry, yeah. Wild at Heart. Um, I don't know if he liked The Straight Story or not. How did Elephant you not like Man, The Straight Elephant Story? Man, I guess he liked. I don't know. Yeah. But Mulholland Drive was the first like absurd David Lynch movie that he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I think I get it now. Okay. But okay. I think, again, that one is a lot more traditional in its, like, noirness. Yeah. And it's also a, a big fuck you to Hollywood. Yeah. Which I'm sure Roger Ebert deeply appreciated. So, yeah. I know. think he just found this movie exploitative. And I disagree with I, him on that. I don't think it's exploitative yeah, at all. But I, I understand where he's coming from when he says that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't completely, like, 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 hold it against him. Not like his diehard review. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, I've never read his Die Hard review. He doesn't. Uh, yeah, I doesn't like Die Hard. I think he gave it like two stars. What? Doesn't like Die Hard. He doesn't like Die Hard. No, dude. Oh no, yeah, Raj. Isn't that weird. What are you doing to me, mm-hmm. Raj? I don't know, but that's a strange one. It's funny. He uh uh he he liked Predator, didn't like Die Hard <laughs> for some reason. That's cool for me, I guess. But I don't <laughs> even then. Even then, I'm like, uh, what? It's. Just I mean, weird. there are those it, times where someone will not like a movie that I like, and I somehow respect them more for it. Maybe it's like the self-loathing in me. It's like, oh yeah, you're so cool. You flipped the way, middle well, finger to make, my favorite movie. It just makes you well. It's funny when when someone says that they don't like a movie, it actually continues to give the movie kind of a weird life. Yeah. Because then you keep talking about it. It's not like, okay, it's The Godfather. It's perfect. We're never going to talk about it again. Right. It's always there. You know what I mean? No, I love the hot take as much as the next guy. I would I, love to meet someone who said, fuck The Godfather. I yeah, would love to talk to him. His name is Nick Evangelista. We found him. He doesn't say fuck The Godfather, but I mean. Yeah, no, what he, he said is worse. I would respect a guy that says fuck The Godfather. You know what? You're right. <laughs> I would respect you're a guy right. that did like a red letter media style yeah mr plinkett review of the godfather my godfather's the worst film ever made protagonist <laughs> protagonist fuck you number seven <laughs> uh favorite lynch movie go blue velvet no it's a racer head it is a racer head okay mine is blue velvet it goes back and forth i uh, i love the elephant man though I love the elephant man. I do too, but I don't feel like that's a fully realized version of what Lynch is doing. I guess, but it just shows his versatility so well. I just definitely, it's it's a great movie. I, I, my top three will say are Eraserhead, elephant man and blue velvet. Yeah. I, I I think blue velvet is everything he's trying to do. Actually, twin peaks, the return is everything that David Lynch has ever been trying to do. Yes, I agree. Uh, I mean, that is the most fully realized version of Lynch, but this is, both the most entertaining, the most evocative, mm-hmm. yes. the most groundbreaking, and uh, frankly, the most rewatchable, even though it's like horribly disturbing what happens to Isabella Rossellini. The stuff with Frank Booth is just delicious. <laughs> Dennis Hopper is unbelievable in this movie. It's like, an, it's uh, there will never be a, a stranger performance than this, I think, ever. Yeah. Like, like Jesus Christ, Nick Cage could only hope to reach these heights. It's <laughs> never going to happen. I say it all the time, but Heineken, what are you talking about? We don't drink that shit. Peps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> so good. Oh, my dude, God. Dude, how about his friend? What is the guy's name? Ben? The like the, the weird dude that runs the, uh, oh, the nightclub? God. What the, what the hell is his name? His I, name's I, Ben, right? Yeah. I want to say Dean Stockwell? Yeah. Who sings the song or mouths it anyway. Oh, yeah. And, and, and <laughs> Hopper starts bawling his eyes out so weird the character is so fucking bizarre i love it though um you know what gun to my head too i think it's my favorite movie of the year gun to my <laughs> that's head. fine that's a that's a great answer i it's here's the thing it's a much more interesting answer than uh platoon okay so yeah i i wouldn't call it the best but i think it's it's my favorite so i think that leads us to the moment of truth okay and this is honestly a really tough decision i Thought that this conversation would help, but it's not helping. We look like I think even the fly <laughs> is in is in contention here. The flies, 
I, I the fly is really good. I it's can't put really, the fly on here. In I good know. conscience, I can't do it. But it's it's it should be talked about. Like it, it in a way, I actually think it does have a place in 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 the movie Hall of Fame. So super fun. Um, I just think. Uh, the scope is is smaller than these other movies, and Slightly. its legacy is perhaps not as significant. But um, it's got a legacy. That's it thing. does have a legacy, but it's not Ferris Bueller, right? No. All I right, think so, it's, so let's let's talk about this, shall we? Because uh, I think it, we need to eliminate one of these top four. I think it's unfortunately. I think it's Blue Velvet. Oh wow! Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, hang on. Hang on. Let's let's uh, talk about this for a second before we do that. I don't want to just be callous and, and cross out Blue Velvet out of nowhere. Okay. <laughs> um, fondest legacy goes to Bueller. Uh, in terms of like pop culture, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Okay. Um, impact goes to Platoon. Aliens. Okay. Why make the case? Aliens, I mean, changed a lot in the realm of science fiction. Um, well, not changed, but it certainly added to it in uh, various ways. I mean, in terms of imitators, there are way more imitators of Aliens than there are Platoon. I can tell you that right now. Hey, is that true, though? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually kind of gross. Even in the Alien franchise, there are more imitators. But I mean, I don't know. The Terminator came out, what, two years before this? Mm-hmm. And I think I don't know. I more they're, people they're draw- pretty similar in their action filmmaking. No, no, you don't think I think so. I don't think so at all. I think a lot. Of, I I see directors de- reference aliens constantly, like like verbatim. They will say, "Oh yeah, I took that from aliens." Yeah, no, I'm with yeah. you. But, I, but when you think about like the pantheon of '80s action movies, like Terminator and Aliens are right up there, right? Terminator and Aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pretty much up there. When you think but of like act- science fiction action filmmaking with horror elements, those are the two. With creatures, though, that's the thing. That's what yeah, I'm talking and, about. Yeah, okay. We- well, we can we can get into the nitty gritty of it, but just in terms of genre, the yeah. Terminator was two years earlier. Yeah. And Terminator, I think it's just as impactful, just as significant. We made the case. We inducted Terminator oh, yeah. into the movie Hall of Fame. Um, I don't think Aliens is on a totally different corner. I think they are they occupy a similar space culturally. Sure. I don't think there's another war movie this era that was as significant as Platoon. I actually don't think it's even close. Uh in what when uh, let me think about this. Uh, I mean Deer Hunter was 79, 78, 78. Yeah, the war movie, yeah, it's probably not nearly as uh it's probably platoon. I just think alien is, is aliens rather is just referenced in far more movies. I mean, edge of tomorrow owes everything it's got to aliens essentially. I mean, the visually it looks exactly the no, same. I get it. Yes. Ways. For outer I mean, space war movies. Sure. Aliens is, is the standard, but it's for not like- even just, it's not even just that though. I mean, you, you could go further with, uh, like how it's referenced in video games. Oh my God. God, it's actually that, that's this is not the video game hall of fame. We've had this conversation okay, before. I know you don't care about video games, but we're talking about pop culture here, and video games are pretty big. So I'm gonna cite video games, and I'm I mean, Halo is pretty much aliens. That's what it is, and it's you know one of the greatest video game franchises of all time. Okay, Aside- Platoon is responsible for saving Private Ryan. Mm, you know what I mean? Steven Spielberg is responsible for saving Private Ryan. No, I, <laughs> yeah. it changed the template for war movies. I mean, let's not lose sight of that. It changed the template. We just struggled to come up with a movie that did not borrow elements from Platoon. 
You couldn't name a war movie that didn't borrow elements from Platoon. I suppose. I could all, but again, I would also say that like modern action science fiction, it's hard if there are monsters involved. I don't think there's any one movie that doesn't owe a debt to aliens. And I again, yeah, that stretch, uh, stretches beyond movies, though. Let's not forget this is a sequel to another science fiction horror movie. Yes. So there are just as many people borrowing from the original Alien as there are borrowing from the sequel. So what? I'm, all I'm saying is this idea that aliens created the sci-fi action movie is just false. You know it's, what I mean? It, it, it's just, I, I it's would, just false. There, there's been plenty of stuff before and after Alien that are not directly inspired from the sequel to Alien. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm disagreeing with you entirely. I would I would say most movies nowadays, if you're referencing, like again, like fighting anything like science fiction with creatures and whatnot, it's I can't think of many that don't do it. I mean, this movie is a template, certainly in that way. Uh, and in a lot of ways, I think it's it's cited maybe just as much as Terminator, but for different types of movies, I suppose. Uh, it's But it goes beyond that. Like, visually, so many movies look like Aliens. It's close, though. That's what I'm saying in terms of impact. Because I agree with you in, ter- in, in the impact with Platoon, but... You you cannot sell aliens short because it's not a small legacy whatsoever, and uh, you can make the argument that it is greater than uh, platoons. You really could. The argument I would make for Blue Velvet um, just change the game with art house cinema. Sure, I yeah, mean really true. change the game and mm-hmm. um, prove that it was possible to make something with mainstream appeal mm-hmm. that was also deeply weird and experimental. Oh, yeah. Not to say that there wasn't experimental cinema before Blue Velvet, obviously. Not on this level. Lynch combined mainstream filmmaking with that independent, absurdist side. Um, And again, like, change movies because of it. And we don't have a David Lynch movie in the movie Hall of Fame yet. And I could make the argument that it's the best on the list in terms of what it's trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that's what I would vote for. I don't know, though. I don't know. (laughs) Let me ask you this. Which do you feel least strong about? In terms of inducting? Like, Platoon. That feels really weird. Yeah, it's it's Platoon, though. It just is. I will say it's Look, probably number... F- <sighs> it's not in the top two for me. Okay, yeah. No, I don't think it's in the top two for me. And let me put it this way in terms of, like, the movies. There are far fewer uh, contemporary... Like, here's the things that... There are a shit ton of good aliens knockoffs and shitty ones, but the fact that there are so many of those in general speak to the impact that the movie had. There's not as many war movies. Honestly. There's some. There's not as many. And there's also not nearly as many that are directly referencing Platoon, even though there are a fair few. All right, we'll we'll cross out Platoon. Very well. Very well. Um, man, I just can't get over the fact that this is a sequel to Alien. Man, I can't get <laughs> over that. It's also considered one of the best sequels ever made. No, I you know, know, I know. You, I, I, but I feel like we kept Godfather Two out because we were going to put the original Godfather in anyway. Yeah, that's you know exactly, what I mean. Yes, yes. And so, like, I just can't justify putting two installments of the <laughs> Alien franchise in the Movie Hall of Fame. And I know that they're different, and we talked about how different they were, yes. but I, you just don't have this one without the other one. So by default, this, the original Alien is more important than Aliens. 
Yeah, technically. But then I would also say it in a weird way in terms of like the feminist culture in film, this one did a better job. This one was recognized immediately for that. Alien, not nearly as much because of its horror background. Seeing a woman holding the gun was very, very, very important. And it was established in this movie. Aliens, I, I would I would cross out next if, if I had my druthers. Um, which would you cross out next? Gun to your head. God damn, man. Ugh. Fuck. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, it's, I have my uh, shit. <sighs> Boy, there's, I, I, uh, I, I don't want to say I would cross off blue velvet. I keep coming back to that though. It, and I think it's just because my heart is not nearly as in that movie as it is the other two. But then I think that's a rash decision, you know? Well, I don't know. You can, you can make the call. It's okay. No, that's, that's, no, I I will um, I will extend the olive branch. That I know this is you know oh, not exactly Jesus. how democracy is supposed to work, but um, feels like Ferris Bueller is a compromise. Feels like Ferris Bueller is a compromise, and uh, it's not a better movie than. And my, that's the problem, though. I don't think it's a better movie than both Blue Velvet and Aliens. <sighs> you think? <sighs> No, you I think? don't. It's great. It's not that good. <laughs> and also, we'd be doing it for Nick Evangelista. That, okay, when you put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really have a high school movie in yet. No, we don't. Um, and this is the best one. Yep. Is it a little obvious? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little obvious. I will give you that. Yeah, that that that's what oh, shit. But so is Aliens, for God's sake. Aliens is an obvious choice too. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, here's what he, okay, we can do. Ferris Bueller for these two reasons. I want to make it perfectly clear here, because last podcast we inducted fucking Zelig, <laughs> <laughs> which I understand was not the correct choice. But it, it was, was not of, even close to the correct choice. <laughs> I understand it should have been Annie Hall. I get it. I get it. I get it. So let's make up for that. (laughs) And also, there you go, Nick. Yeah, I think Nick is the tiebreaker here. I think if he was here, this is what he would want. Okay. (laughs) Like he's dead. We could do it for him. So let's fulfill his final wishes and induct (laughs) Ferris Bueller's Day Off into the Movie Hall of Fame. Yay. I mean, look, that's a totally fine choice. It is. It is a totally fine choice. I think Blue Velvet would have been really cool. Um, but this is a really stacked year. And I imagine that these movies are going to have another crack at the apple. Bite yeah. at the apple. Crack at the egg. Bite at the apple. Whatever. Bite at the apple. Crack. You don't crack an apple, you idiot. No. You don't. You don't, you, you don't go anywhere near apples. You're allergic. It's true. Yeah. I am. Um, all right. That's going to do it. Sweet. There we, we go. We did it. Let's put a bone That's, in it. That one sucked. No, it was a good podcast, but like that sucked. That decision was rough. That's one of the hardest ones I've ever had to d- contend with. Yeah. We don't get them all that often. Actually, Ugh. this, the only one that I think was harder was the following year, 1987, which was the first podcast we did. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Which, by the yeah. way, was over a year ago. Isn't that crazy? We've been doing this podcast for over a year. What the fuck is the matter with us? A lot. A lot. Jesus. 
Uh, All right. Yeah, the 80s are tough, but this was a really strong year. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. So there you go. Uh, We will be back next week. We haven't decided exactly what we're going to do next week, so we have to talk about that off air. It'll be a surprise. It will be a surprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, So look forward to that. We continue to churn out content as we are isolated in our homes. Yeah. So there's an eco show up right now, two cents probably later in the week. Why is this a thing? Uh, we talked about Incident at Loch Ness, a movie featuring Werner Herzog. <laughs> Always good. Always a, a fun time over there. Nostalgia Plus rolls on. Fantasy Book of the Month rolls on. Wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't hug your grandparents. And uh, we love you. Yeah. We hope we get you sick through this podcast. We've already gotten them sick. We went on for <laughs> two hours and 15 minutes today. Ugh, oh my god well, that's what happens that's what happens when you go into a 20 minute sidetrack about sicario day of the soldado it's all my fault <laughs> it's really all my fault happens. i apologize i'm sorry uh happy movie watching everyone <laughs> and until next time let's fuck all fuck anything that moves <laughs> <laughs>